Welcome to Crest in partnership with Elusive. We are going to run a very special episode to take us across the summer now. And we're going to revisit with a new edit the interview that we did with Mark Schofield back in 2020. Mark, of course, as most of you will know, is no longer with us. Um, He finally lost a long battle against various health complications earlier this year. And as one of the best loved and most charismatic surfing figures that I've ever known, I found that going back and listening to this interview has been a very comforting way of being able to remember Mark. And I know that some family and friends have been doing the like. And at the time we put it out, there was a lot of love for Mark because people hadn't seen so much of him lately at the time. There'd been a big long lockdown and Mark, of course, was kept away as somebody being uh, shielded at the time. But it was really nice for people to be able to hear his voice then and to catch up with how he was doing. And now we're putting it together. It was formerly two episodes, but we're going to stick it together as one. Producer Dodds put a bit of music under it. And basically, we've got the life story here for you of somebody who we really do miss. But during the time that you listen to it, those of us left behind can at least continue to benefit from how much of a joy it is to just hear Scofe rattle on about whatever subject you put in front of him. And in this case, the subject that we've put in front of him most of the time is his life and lots of the amazing things that he's done and his incredible ability to find inspiring mindset. So we hope that you enjoy listening to this as much as us and I hope that it makes you feel emotional at the right times and in the right ways as well. There's going to be a paddle out to honour Scofe when those closest to him are ready and of course we'll share the information about that. But in the meantime, we give you Mark Schofield Revisited. Welcome, Mark, to Crest, or should I say uh, thank you for having us in uh, your very nice socially distanced garden studio. It's an absolute pleasure, boys, and I'm really happy to have you here. Dear listeners, uh, you heard in the intro that today's guest will be talking surf, health, golf and everything in between. A curious mix, you might think, but not for Mark Schofield. Yes, Mark has scaled the heights of Welsh, British and even European surfing. But the highs are balanced by what many, what for many would be crushing lows. He has suffered severe life-changing and indeed life-threatening setbacks in the form of chronic illness. But this is a man who's also stood out in cutthroat lineups while still plugged into a dialysis machine nightly. A man who has smiled at his luck or lack of it and taken his lot on the chin. Where surfing couldn't be the tonic, he has also found in golf a sport that allows him to channel his uncanny ability to be competitive with anyone and everyone, including himself. The buzz Scofe derives from seeing the rewards of commitment are matched by his capacity for intricate, meticulous analysis and methodological improvement. (coughs) Surfing, golf, poker, the guitar, the stock market, talking, you're not quite as good as me, Scofe, each becomes a metaphor for each, with the mother superior wave riding the driving force behind it all. Once again, thank you for inviting us into your garden studio for once, uh, for what is a very socially distanced broadcast. And uh, it is socially distanced for very good reason, because, of course, we're, we're absolutely looking to sort of keep you out of the way of uh, the, the current 
health crisis at all costs, really, aren't we? Uh, you are, boys, and thank you very much for that intro, which was a little bit over the top. No. I don't know whether I'm uh, all of those things, but thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and I was just talking about the, the lengths that producer Dodd has gone to uh, in the garden today. We basically brought the whole of the Crest Garden Studio here, and it's fabulous. It's a lovely informal setup. We've got a bit of an audience. Uh, Scoff's son George is sitting over there. Um, we've, we've got the dog Bella, who might occasionally have to be sort of shouted at. She just ate some of my cheese and biscuits before we started. Uh, Jane is here and a couple of others. There's even a hot tub that some of the guests who are, who are watching are going to be jumping into in a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, it's, it's just, it's all been done to make sure that, that you know, this, this, this precious body of yours is sort of, you know, going gonna, to gonna live to fight many more days. And I suppose that is, that is something you're, you're used to doing, isn't it, this idea of sort of, you know, that, yeah, that it's you've, the you've done all this, so I'm relaxed and not nervous, that's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> I get scared in front of you guys. Yeah, Yeah, no, it is important for me to stay safe. I, I, I have sort of been hibernating in the house, yeah. luckily with my wife, well, for the past, at... uh, I think it's nearly six months now. It's a while. You're looking and yeah, sounding yeah. good, though, Scove. It's great to see you. Actually, I think the reason why we're going to all these lengths is because you've actually just come out of a period of radiotherapy, having had cancer through the covid crisis i have yeah i was um i i was pretty pretty unlucky really that uh, i ended up with cancer at the very start of the covid crisis which was um even from my standards was a little bit scary to be quite honest with you when uh, uh unfortunately what happened is i came back off holiday uh in from tenerife we were actually the last flight to leave Tenerife. The plane actually came over empty, took us back home. And uh, on uh, the following week, I actually go in to have my operation, which was literally when the hospitals were shutting down and the whole thing was just going nuts. So it was a pretty scary time when I was all booked in, I was all ready to go down. And uh, the surgeon came along and he had a real straight face, remembering I was literally on my own. There was no, there was no guests in there at all. Well, no visitors. Can't say guests. There was no visitors <laughs> in there, and um, the only thing I, I was, I was talking to George, Jessica, and uh, George, Jessica, and Jane on the phone. And the surgeon came in, and he basically said, "Look, if we carry on with this operation, you've got a sign to say that you won't use a ventilator because you are volunteering for this operation." Wow. So. And this is obviously we rewind to this long ago. We knew very little. Uh, we knew very well. That's why the hospitals—they basically were shutting, shutting the hospitals down—and they believed that if you caught it, you would go. You, were you, you would literally be on a ventilator, and I had to turn around and say, "Look, I won't have a ventilator." Take chances. So, you know, fortunately, um, I did go ahead. We all made a decision, and I did go ahead. And I think it was the right thing to do, to be quite honest with you, as, as this whole thing turned out. They sliced my neck out and put the tubes in, but I was literally in hospital for, uh, I had to have a neck dissection. And I went in on the Monday, had the operation Monday afternoon, and came home at Tuesday at six o'clock, Jane picked me up from outside and, the hospital. And then became the, became, began the 14 day wait to hope that you hadn't caught and the then, virus while well, you were in. One, the virus was, was the big one. And secondly, I had to wait to see what this cancer was and whether it was, was whether I needed radiotherapy. Unfortunately, I also needed radiotherapy. So my next bit of it was I had to then go 
to sort the radiotherapy out in that period of time. So then I went into Valindra, which you can imagine Valindra in the height of uh, the height of the coronavirus episode when nobody knew anything about it. It was pretty serious again. I had to go in on my own, and I remember sitting in this quite small room with uh, one of the consultants. She was all masked up. You couldn't see her face. I'm all masked up. And she basically said, she said it in a nice way, but basically she said, look, you either stick with the cancer and, and hope it doesn't come back, or you go for the treatment. But if you do have the treatment, where you are having the treatment on your throat and your mouth, you will probably die if you catch the coronavirus. So your choice is cancer or coronavirus. Again, we're fortunate now we've got mobile phones and stuff. That was done with Jane and George and Jess made the decision and we made the decision and now to go. go for it. Right. And I must say it was, um, you know, the experience was pretty, you know, I wouldn't like to have done it the first time round. For me, this was a second time round, which made yeah, it... Yeah, because you had cancer before. Yeah, yeah I, I had it before. I had it on the other side of my, my neck. And that time was a really rough ride on on it. So I was expecting to be really bad. But wow. this time, I, I sort of... I got through it as well as I possibly could, to be honest. So, uh, no. It was, uh, it was something that I wouldn't like to experience again. And I wouldn't like other people to do it. Because it's a lot of stuff. I mean, when you think about it... I mean, people, people are worried about the virus. You sit there and you think, when did you ever think people would decide cancer was a better bet yeah. than coronavirus? You wouldn't think anything could be worse than cancer, would you? Right. And at that point, it is getting better and people do know more about it. But remember, I was literally, we're talking... the beginning. We're talking um, uh, March the 16th which yeah. is bang on when the world was going. Yeah. yeah, well, the schools are shut in and we're meant to be going in there. And, and some of the schools were shut in. They were saying it might be for a week, it might be for two months. You know, Correct, so, yeah. so, so no well, one knew what was happening. No, yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a scary time. It was scary going... I mean, in fairness, the only good thing is the roads are all clear to drive in there and stuff. It was, <laughs> it was a nice run-in. <laughs> this, uh, this, of course, um, well, wasn't the first time that you'd had a run-in with serious illness, as we, we mentioned. Um, your first came when it could be said that you were at the, the top of your game surfing-wise and at the tender age of 21. And I'd like to focus on that early period in your surfing, uh, first of all. Oh, so, yeah, let's talk about surfing. Yeah, where did it yeah. all begin for you, Scott? Yeah. Um, my, my, my recollection of first deciding to go surfing was we used to skateboard. Uh, there was uh, Terry Davies, Bobby Phillips, and a couple of the others, Andy Price and stuff, we all used to skateboard quite a bit. And they used to have a glide, a thing called, used to be called a glider fiber ramp down in Cozy Corner there. And there was a ramp there. And one day we went up and we went into what used to be the swimming pools on the seafront. Do you remember the, the concrete rock swimming yeah, pools, the, the rock pools, pool ones? Them, they? Yeah. yeah, and the bigger one had a, had sort of like a, a, a what was it? It was a scaffolding fence on it, stuff was falling out of it. They're pretty dangerous things, really. But and you could stand there and you could look over the sea, and then you'd wait for the waves to break and stuff like that. And one day there was someone actually surfing at low tide, uh, low tide esp, and the two of us or three of us that were there decided we'd go surfing. 
So it was Bobby Phillips, Terry Davis and myself. That's how I recall it. Someone could recall it differently, but as far as I can I recall that, and that's the moment that surfing was, we were going to give surfing a go. I remember it was either um, Bobby's brother had a surfboard, he was older than us, and he had a surfboard in the garage. Of course, boards were quite hard and to come by back then. They were hard to come by, yeah. God, back there it was... It was they were ten a penny like now. They weren't all over the shop, and I can remember... Um, I did, you know, I'm looking back now, I can't remember my very, I can't remember whether I had a board, first of all, that I surfed on, or whether I, I always remember my very first board was bought from um, your dad's shop, or used to be your dad's shop, Rob. Uh, what was it called? I, don't, I honestly don't know, I have to find that one out. Because I know Fluff had it, didn't he? And then Sharky yeah. had it, there was Fluff. I think, I think it was, it was Fluff? Fluff, and then my dad went in with him, and yeah. then I think... My dad carried it on, and then they sold it to Sharky, or he sold it to Sharky. That's it. I can remember I saw my first pair of board shorts in there. I can't remember the brand, but I'll they, find out the they, name for they, you. They, were, they had their board shorts in in like the middle rack, and 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 they were there. Anyway, the board that I ended up getting was a board called um, uh, uh, it was called the Flying Fish. It was a white board, and it was a single wing swallowtail, and that's the board that I very first started surfing on. And I believe it was a single fin. I believe it was a single fin. And that's the time that, that, that I remember. I also remember my first, my first wave, as in surfing the green waves. Rest Bay, tied halfway in, caught, um, caught a broken wave, and then it reformed. And I remember the sensation of it going from, you know, when you ride the foam, it's quite hard to ride the foam even for a good surfer. You know, and it's because it's the, the movement. Yeah, you don't have that control. You, do you? you don't have any control. But as soon as you get any little, you know, the green wave, the surfing, it goes smooth. It's just, you sort of, you're there. And I can remember that feeling of, uh, of going. And I was actually probably the last one of the bunch to to actually ride the green wave, as they would say. I, I was pretty, I, I, I was a pretty slow starter, really. So by uh, the word bunch, I'm assuming that you're referring to Brad Hockridge and Simon Tony. No, no, no. I can tell you a real good story about that. I can remember watching Brad when I was in there. There was there was Bobby Phillips, Terry Davis and myself were the main ones at Sir. That's where we used to change in Bobby's house, which is on Seven Road by the school. He was His was the closest house. We used to walk down and we used to mainly surf the cove. We used to go down the rocks and surf the cove. People don't surf it as much now, do they? It's like a wander down. But that's it what we did. It was popular during lockdown. Uh, was it? Yeah, it couldn't be Because he was out the way, <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, that's where we surfed, because it was the closest one down the rocks. But no, I can remember watching... There were two people, but I remember Brad vividly, and I've told him this, so I remember watching Brad catch a wave, and he got down from the wave, he got down from the wave, onto his belly, and belly boarded in and got out. And I thought it was like insane how good he was. Really? I thought it was just amazing because I'm like wallowing around inside and he's there uh, being able to surf. But it wasn't long that you carried on thinking that of him though because your your learning curve was pretty steep. And I think this is one of the things I find very interesting about you is that you've always sort of looked at activities from the point of view of how do I quickly reach that kind of the upper echelon yeah. where something can be done. And, and what, what, how long was it? was it? It was about a year before you were... It was around about that. It was pretty, pretty much. It was quick. I'm saying a year, probably a year, year and a half ish. But and then you were I, a national. I champion. didn't. I didn't go out 
to be the best surfer. Right. I just love to surf. You know, I, I, I would stay in, in in the water from high to low. You know, I would literally be in but there from low tide to high tide. you must have known you were trying to, to beat people tide. when you won that nationals uh, that first. No, I... Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, back in the day, it wasn't quite as intense as it is now. And it was, the the Welsh was an incredibly good weekend. It was a weekend that people went to, everybody went to. Even if you didn't enter, you went down there. You sat on the, the bits. I mean, Rob, you caught the tail end of it when your dad would go down. He'd be down there. He knows, your mum and dad know exactly what I'm talking about. It was... It was big. The car parks and stuff were full of people in campers and camping there, and and it was just an event. I went down for the weekend to surf, and I entered a competition. I didn't know I was gonna. Didn't even know I had a chance at sort of winning it. You know, there, there was a. I can't even remember the boys in it. I remember the boys in the final, and I don't know. Now Brad and Simon could tell you a totally different story of this, but I don't remember them they must have been there but i don't remember them i remember the final being frenchy great surfer then chris french and the browns i think one of the browns were in it which they were really good surfers they were really good surfers and i can't remember the other ones but i re- I, I remember that and but you remember chris o'connor yeah well chris, you. chris chris used to take us down there and probably it, it sounds as if it was a bit harsh really but but it was, and I didn't take it as being harsh. And it was something probably that stuck with me as well for, for, for always, to be honest. I can remember jumping in the van after I'd won, and, and, and that, those days they had a proper ceremony. Uh, they still do, but it was like a proper ceremony. Yeah, you would, everybody would, hang you would, everybody it, yeah. would be hanging around. It would be a big thing. And, and, and to hold one of those trophies was, like, really good. And, and I remember going up and... and well, funny enough, I don't remember going and getting. I remember going in the van with it and thinking, "Oh, my mum and dad are going to be stoked!" Like, and he turned round to me, and Chris, Chris, Chris looked at me. He goes, "You done really well, you have, but you weren't the best surfer." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just thought, uh, and at that point, it made me think that he didn't dishearten me. What he made me do is, I had to go back to be the best surfer. I always felt that by me achieving something made me have to do a little better because people will say that to you so I was more concerned probably wrongly I don't know that people wouldn't think I was worthy of it now some people don't care they just think oh I've won you know mm-hmm. you know as you say we ca- we caught the best three ways and we won I would want to be the best guy that won it wouldn't be oh you did well because you won so the I think that speaks ways. volumes about your character and it's something that we hopefully will talk a little bit more about later but you um there are a few names in there um, in the form of Brad Hockridge and Simon Tucker, and you mentioned Chris French as well. Yeah. And adding to that list, the likes of Carwin Williams, and I'm sure there were many others yeah. that you would have, you, we did come to know as, yeah, yeah. as friends and rivals. Mm. And as, like I said, I imagine there's an incredible amount of rivalry and subsequently perhaps motivation for you to improve and to uh, to get one over on them. Was that the case? Yeah, I, I think... I think it started to when, when obviously, if, if I, I won the Welsh, then someone else. I mean, it's like, it, it's really nice if someone does really well because then it motivates you. Mm-hmm. You surf with that person that does well, and so you, you think, think you can do well. I mean, there was a little bit, but we all surfed together. Yeah. You know, we, we did all surf together. I can't remember it being uh, overly. That period when overly you were in the juniors must have been in quite an. I don't know, an intense experience because you're all such fantastic surfers. Yeah, I, I, I think, 
I think, though, that period of time when the Welsh were dominating, um, and, and I mean we did, to be honest with you. I mean, there's not many times you can say that if you won your club championship, you'd think you could win the Welsh, because the people in it were so good that it wasn't a case that you could you could just go, oh, you know, it was easy round. It wasn't. There were just good people everywhere. Even people that didn't do, that aren't, that I'm, that, aren't known to be good were good surfers you mean just they didn't do they didn't do the right things at the time but even the ones that were 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 slightly below that were were still great surfers you know and uh, you also had i think the kind of older guys in the club sort of keeping you in check and pushing yeah, you and you, you mentioned a couple of the older guys that looked out for you and gave you bits of advice you mentioned jeff davis for one jeff was always i always remember jeff encouraging me and, uh, you know, he, he, he also would say if he was surfing well and stuff like that, he may have done it to all of the other ones. He, he, he may have done it to Brad, Syme, you know, you, you name it, the, the ones in there. But, yeah, he always, I always felt that he encouraged me, especially Jeff did. And, uh, yeah, and, and your dad did, funny enough. Your, your dad gave me really good advice when uh, I can remember surfing in, in one event and he, he, he really, it's, it's funny how you can take advice good or you can take it bad. And uh, he sort of, his, his very words were, when I, when I came out the sea, it was almost like, you can do that really well, which is basically I was going to the bottom and then I was going to the top and I was going to the bottom and I'd go to the top. And if I got it right, I'd be doing really entries and stuff down the line. And he sort of said to me, he goes, you've got that wired, you need to vary it a bit. You need to do a cutback or you need to do, you need to do something. And it really hit a point with me that I did actually think, do you know, I am sort of getting a bit monotonous here. And that sort of improved my repertoire, you know. It was like as if I'm not just going to do those, you know, hit, hit those, try and hit the lips all the time. But i tell you one thing I think why the Welsh were really good at that period of time was there was a lot of things came together for us. And one of those things was board design. And I think when the Twin Fins were were big and they were they were big tailed the twin fins came in rather than single fins we had some of them uh, some of us had a little fin in the back they were perfect boards for our waves they were perfect but everybody was using those same boards but they worked on our waves yeah are you with me it was like as if it was our waves if you took them to france they'd be rubbish but our ways they were good and you've got you had Carwin, you had uh, loads of the boys down there, Cat was another one, all of those, they could surf, everybody was surfing so well that, you know, like, the British team was made up of Welsh people. I mean, how, how yeah. is that? Yeah. But I believe it was the boards were the right, and everybody else was surfing the wrong board for their ways, and we were on the right one. So for a period of time, we sort of made hay with it. And, so Rest Bay was like the kind of equivalent to, to, to trestles. <laughs> yeah, no, Rest Bay, the, the boards worked. They allowed us to get to the flat sections. They allowed us to do it. We went really fast. Are, are you with me? We, we were like a little skate park. Whereas what then happened is whether the Aussies turned up into town or whoever turned up, and they made the boards thinner and they were harder to surf. What I mean by that, harder work to surf. They were just hard work. You had to be, you know, the moment you get up, you got to go for it. Whereas with the bigger boards, you could catch them a little bit earlier, the waves a bit earlier. Growing up in Porthcawl, 
going to school, I remember one of the great injustices we always had was that surfing was never on the honours board, you know? Never. Uh, only Paul Lovell got on the honours board for being the Ogo Young Sports Person of Is the Year. Is that what he got, did, was he? Yeah, they didn't put the sport next to it because the school was down on surfing. Like it. It, was, you know, it, was a, it had a bad image. Um, and I remember in, in meetings that, that uh, surfers had with the head teacher of the time, trying to, I remember them drawing, and this was one of the first times I sort of really heard, heard of you, uh, or knew, knew of your your CV at that point was, is it was like look there's a European champion in this town yeah and it was you I, did, did you remember that well it didn't time? really I gotta be honest they never really gave us I, I don't know whether it was because we didn't particularly want it mm. because we weren't surfers weren't like surfers now blend into to everybody around now but at the time we were we used to go to school with our hair wet and just still <laughs> like putting clothes on that is damp and, but you were a and, European and just, champion just running there. yeah but it didn't you know, it it only it only meant it only meant that to us, didn't it? It didn't yeah. mean anything to, to them. You know, from our point of view, it was the fact that in the chemistry lab, you could look out and see the surf, and if it was good, you get the hell out of there if you can. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing about it was, and you couldn't do it now. We had like a little skate routes that we knew we could go along the side of that one, go there pop around the corner of there and you could hop out without anybody seeing you and Brad and Simon they in the same year group as you they they were a year less than us they were a year below so then so you had the, you know this rivalry Rob was asking you about and uh, one of those memories that you've got there is when you all travelled up to Brim's Nest together and that was a European championship well we travelled with uh, a lot of the time it was with Brad rather than Simon but yeah we went up to well, it wasn't Brim's Nest funny enough that was for the European juniors right and Brad was a was is still a really good surfer and he was a good surfer then really good and we were drawn unfortunately at that point in the semi-finals and we were sharing a room as well in the same hotel I, I mean I can't say again it didn't feel as if we were hugely competitive because these things didn't the reward wasn't as great as people think they would be the reward was your award do, do, do you get what I mean? I didn't suddenly get. I didn't it? suddenly get a deal, and, and and I've got my life is sorted, and, and I've done, which would have been beautiful if I'd won the European Golf Championship. I would have been sorted for life, but it wasn't like that. And you know that at that contest, we both knew whoever won this semi-final would go on to win the final because we were both. Well, we felt we were both the, the better ones to it, so. You know, if, if he had beaten me, which he could have as easy as I beat him, without a shadow of a doubt, then... Um, He'd have been a European he, champion. He would have been European champion and, and off he goes. But Brad was always... He, Brad was the most consistent, I think, out of all of us, for sure. There were lots <laughs> lots more event titles to boot, and as we've learned, you weren't someone to rest on your laurels, even to the point of not feeling that you deserved something until you repeated the feat. Do any of your, your victories really stand out in your mind as being uh, something you felt particularly proud of? Well, you know, Thurso, isn't there? Thurso was always a nice one because it was good stuff. But uh, the ones the the ones I sort of remember, I I I remember Jersey because it was good waves. Uh, funny enough, it was good waves, and. It was on more of a left, okay, and I was surfing against Paul Russell, and because it was a left, it was 
that that to me to do well against Paul Russell because Paul Russell was a great surfer. But in the final, though, and Paul Russell is now a, a oceanographer, isn't he? Is he? he? Uh, yeah, I, I really, I, I don't know, I don't know much. But Paul yeah. Russell was a was we always remember him. He lived in Leicester, and uh, he used to travel around with his parents all the time. But he was a he was a bit of you don't follow golf, do you? But he was a bit of a Bryce. It always felt to me he was a bit of a scientist of surfing. You know, he knew what to do, when to do it at the right time. wasn't particularly great, but he did the job really well. But he, he was always, but he's a really nice guy, Paul was. But the one that actually, that I would say, something that, that always made me enjoy, and still does to this day, enjoy competing, or, or a certain amount of it was, I was in the final of the British, and I believe it was Colin Wilson, other two, Colin Wilson, Chris Gard and myself, I know those two were in it. And I went down the beach, and I was quite young then, because I had to surf, I think, I had to surf in that because I was old for my age and I had to go in the seniors, but I theoretically could have still been a junior, something yeah, like that. Yeah, people in your school year group would have still yeah, been a junior. Yeah, but I had, yeah. To, I had to flip over because they wouldn't let me go as yeah. a junior. So I could still surf in the juniors, but didn't matter what I did, I couldn't go on any you know, British trips or anything as a junior. And I was really nervous going down there and Colin turned to me and goes, what's the matter with you? And I said, oh, I'm pretty shit myself, aren't I? I'm, 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 I'm scared, I'm nervous. He goes, what are you nervous for? I said, well, look, we're in the final, and we? it's the main one. He goes, nah, the main one is all the ones you've got. You've got to put all the effort in to get here. Now, you enjoy it. You've done it. You just go out there and have a surf. And, you know, it was almost like as if you'd pulled the plug on me. It was like, you know, he's bloody right here. All I do is go. And when I play golf, and I was competitive, which I'm not now, by the way, when I was competitive, all I wanted to do was get to the 18th hole. If I could get to the 18th hole, it didn't matter whether I won or lost, I had to get to the 18th hole. So I stood on the 18th tee, and as long as I got there, I think I'd made it. Look, I made the complete All the course. big holes are behind you. Well, I just made the course, haven't I? Yeah. You know, I'm playing against somebody, and I've actually made the course. It's not like I've been, been beaten at the end. end. And then I relax then, so the 18th hole is the one you want to win on, isn't it? You, yeah. you, you like, pull the plug on the guy. If you can. And you, were, you also were about to tell us a story about Paul Russell before I so rudely interrupted you as well. You were in a final against him? I, that was that final. Yeah, it was, oh, that, it was final. that final. I think right? it was that final. I'm sure he was there. Right. I'm sure, anyway, the ways are really good. And one of the judges, I tell you who it was, was Nigel Sermons. And he, he was a great surfer. And, and Christ, these guys won't remember this, but I, I remember him. And I always thought that if I could win and him judging me, that, that, that was a good, a good omen. Yeah, great. Yeah, it was when it was sponsored by cigarette people, I was. Drawing to that. Yeah, yeah well, have that now, it was a big you? deal, yeah. Was it, what was it? Uh, uh, Jay's, American Jay's, Tobacco? Or something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a tobacco yeah, company leaf. that sponsored it. So we had a nice trophy with that as well. My dad has also actually told me the story that you were telling just then about yeah. what he said to you. And, and he likes to try and take credit for an event in which he thinks you won by doing a... My dad describes it as a carve in 360, but I know you talk it down a little bit more modestly, don't you? It, but there it, was this event, was it, was it the Nuki Classic? I think it was the Nuki Classic, yeah. It was the Nuki Classic when it was originally the Nuki Classic, where it was like British people in it, it wasn't. Yeah. It got like a bit bigger and it, then it turned up into what it did. But it was one of the first Nuki Classics and the surf was quite big, yeah. And... He, he's taking credit for that A360. For, uh, sorry, A360. Sorry, I'm three Air decades old. Are you pushing me? That's good. Yeah, I've done that. But you did this 360 on a decent sized wave, a bottom turn. 
Yeah, it, it won the car 360. It was because the wave was so big, because it was quite big that day. Uh, the surf was quite big. When I did the 360, it, it, as it moved round and I was sliding the tail, because that's the way we sort of did them, it sort of made it feel like it was it was a car because it was so... Because I can remember them coming out of the beach and saying, oh, you did a car 360. And I remember thinking, I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Maybe they marked somebody else. But this interview uh, is going to have these high highs and then we're going to go... Low lows. To the low lows. And it, it was in that same event, the Newquay Classic, when you first started to realise that you had something very seriously wrong with you. It health. was a, an event in Newquay. And we stayed in. I went down with the guys. Who were the guys? can't remember the guys now. I'm trying to think. Anyway, I can remember staying in the Lynx. It's still there, isn't it? The Lynx Hotel in Newquay? On, on that headland? It is. The headland hotel. it's still there. Yeah. We stayed in there. And... Uh, we stayed in there as well, didn't we, Jane? Anyway, with the, with, the, with the guys, and I can remember being in the event, and I got through my heat, and I remember being so tired, so physically tired, that I thought, I'm not going back in there. It was just too knackered to go back in. And I sort of slammed the board in the back of the car and said, I'm not going back in again, boys. And they said, you got through, though. So I'm not going back in, and that was the last time I sort of. I, it wasn't the last time I surfed in the event, but it was the last time that I, I could have with during that period where 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 I knew my kidneys were failing, you know, yeah. where so where they'd sort of it had gone too far. So from there, presumably, it was to the doctors to find out what was causing you to feel that way. Yeah, it was. Yeah, in the heat in Cardiff, wasn't it, love? Uh, we went to the heat in Cardiff and. Uh, I think the consultant's name though. Yeah, so we went there and when, when we went in, I didn't feel I didn't feel super bad, but I was bad enough that I couldn't compete. I mean you'd be surprised how much effort it is to paddle around course, and, yeah. and, and adrenaline is in, in a heat. But I'd either played a bit of golf or gone surfing and I'd gone in and they took my blood and they came back and they said, Jesus, this is off the charts, like you need to dialyze today. And I said, I can't today, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> you know, and he said, no, no, you, you've actually got to go on the machine as soon as possible. And I said, oh, i got stuff to do. I can do it Monday. And he said, right, you, you need to come in Monday. And I went in Monday. Dialyzed meaning? Dialyzed meaning, well, first of all, what they did, they put a subclavia in, my, in my, my neck, which is basically a tube that goes down into, uh, an, uh, I'm going to say, a vein, no, an archery just above the heart. And then they sew it to your shoulder where they'd plug the machine in to start with. They'd plug the machine in, and the dialyzing machine. And that kind of acts as, as and, a kidney. And that acts as a kidney, then it comes out. But when I had that done, I was so scared of needles and stuff. The doctor said to me, he goes, oh, it's an awful low, to you, didn't he? To Jane, to my wife. He said, you've an awful low pain threshold you have, haven't you? <laughs> and... Uh, because he was like three foot away and I said yeah I can feel that I can feel that it's coming it was one of those things that it was like it, 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 I just wasn't used to being prodded around really and that's when I went went on and it was a bad time then Dial, dialyzing was bad then it was a real journey because they didn't uh, they didn't do certain things they do now and you would get cramped like you wouldn't believe because they're basically taking salt and everything out of you and it was just one of those things they just used to tell you to well they didn't really tell you to do anything just like suck it up like and and you could get serious stomach cramp and stuff and you were on it minimum of eight hours wow. 
So it was three times a week, eight hours. And by the time you felt better, you had one day of feeling all right, and then you then then, then you were back on it. It was a it was a ride. So hearing hearing that news that you're going to have to dialyze, and I assume it was with the intention that it's going to be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that must have been a real a real shock to the system in itself. Thinking of what an active lifestyle you kind of led up to that point, with surfing yeah. and golf and whatnot. It's funny when you're when you're younger. You you well, I felt that. I'd get through it. It wasn't quite as 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 blind as that. My mother had already gone for tests to see that she could give a kidney, and she could. So the period of time that I was meant to be on dialysis was meant to be relatively short, because it was her getting tested, and they do anyway. Doctors going on holidays, and certain things happened. So I was on dialysis about two or three months, which is much longer than was meant to be. So I there, there was an end to that because my mum was going to give me a kidney. Yeah. So it's always like the problem with things is if you have things there's no end to, you, you can't you, you can't like focus on stuff. So I was fortunate at that period of time to have a period where I could see that there was going to be an end to it, which was uh, which was nice, which was good. Which in the end she did give me a kidney, and it was incredible when I actually had the kidney and got it and fortunately she's been really well from it she's really well from it yeah. I mean she's coming up to 80 now so she's lived quite a long time with um, with the one with just the one kidney yeah yeah fighting yeah. fit I saw, uh, yeah, I saw no, Jean Schofield strolling down New Road the other day she's she's really good I don't think she suffered any uh, side effects from it at all at all you know and, and we're going back quite a long time now what are we going back we're going back we're going back at years, least yeah. 30 odd years, yeah. Presumably, um, the kind of the transplant system and everything that goes with it has changed substantially in that, that period of time. It's changed loads. Even the di even dialysis has changed loads. There's, it, it's, it's improved leaps and bounds like you, you, you can't believe. So you carried on surfing and travelling again then. You've got a second lease of life. You're back out there. You're surfing. But it was somewhere around now that you started to realise that you had the potential to be very, very good, as in we're talking no, decimal no, no. point sub three uh, at golf. Yeah, well, no, I never, I never thought I could be good at golf, to be honest. I played golf because, uh, I'll tell you why I started playing golf. This is a funny story, this is. I started playing golf, and maybe the boys, I, I don't know which boys are in the background, but it's probably, it's, it's either Brad, Simon, Dave Tucker was a real influence in me when I was Simon's, Simon's brother. brother. Yes, because he's a big golfer, isn't Simon's he? Simon's brother yeah. was, well, not just in the golf, even surfing. Yeah. I was very friendly with Dave, so a lot of the time, and it's quite sad really, a lot of us will miss Dave out, and Dave was always there. Mm -hmm. Dave Tucker was always there, and Dave could have been there. Anyway, my old man had some golf clubs when we changed. And I, I held the club cack-handed, and the, my mum's garden has got, it goes out onto like a, like I'm saying it's a plain field now, obviously, but it, it went on to nothing, you could just do it. And I stood there, and I whacked the crap out of this golf ball, and it flew miles. And I thought, it was literally, I can do this. Well, I can play golf, that's, a, that's really easy. And that really got, got us sort of hooked. It was me and Dave, actually, that got the, got the bug. But... Don't get me wrong, I didn't find it easy, I practiced. I, 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 in golf, I like to practice. I like the practice, I even enjoy, or I used to enjoy the practice of playing golf. 
to the point that I preferred to practice sometimes and actually play. So I enjoyed that. So the grind was good. Some people don't. They just prefer but, playing. But you did basically decide that you've gotten good at surfing. There wasn't a huge amount of money in it. If you can get good at this, I wouldn't say. You're well, going to be quids in. I probably dreamt that I would because I was quite young then, <laughs> yeah, like we all did. Two, two point six, is that that? Well, I, I dreamt that I, I was going to be a pro surfer, like, and earn three quid a day, like. <laughs> <laughs> no. But uh, no, I, I. But just, you did win stuff at golf, and. No, I played okay. Yeah. I played pretty good. I mean, there's some really good people that play golf, and and I practiced a lot. My biggest achievement probably is my first handicap was nine. So I went in as a single-figure handicap, which, if you ask people, that is a pretty good... And that isn't me saying that. That is on record as I went in at nine. So I went in pretty early, but that was through practising. Yeah. You know, when I couldn't join a club, because golf clubs are quite hard to join then, yeah. and when I couldn't join, I, I, I would just practise it, just hundreds of golf balls. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed but it. It, did, it was. I, I've said this figure a few times. I feel like I'm on news night yet. And yeah. I'm trying to get. No, no, it trying is. To get rid I of did. Uh, my lowest handicap cap was two point two point six. I think it was two point six was my lowest. I mean, theoretically, you're, you're good to go you, in a, you in a couldn't, major. You couldn't now because they've got better over the years. But at that point, I could have turned pro. Yeah. You had to be below three, and you could go pro. I'm not saying you'd earn any money. But you could go on the little tours and you could turn up and you could whack a few golf balls and you could try and get in the open if you could do, you know, qualify yeah. miles away. And go, going round a golf course with you is uh, one of life's great pleasures, I have to say, because just watching how obsessed somebody can be with all the sort of nuances and details of golf, and you often tell me that you see these kind of crossovers with surfing. Yeah, I, I think all... I, I like to think all stuff does to a degree. that With... Um, with golf, one of the things with golf is, is the, the competitive side of it, I think. The fact that it, I, I think that's a crossover with sport. And also how calm you've got to be. There's not many sports you can't get angry with. Yeah. What I mean by that is you can't just walk up and go, I hit a bad shot and whack the crap out of it and it's gone somewhere because that's it, your round's finished. You've got to always be on it, haven't you? Always be calm and focused and, you're saying as well and that going for the next shot. That like surfing... You can hit a dream shot, like your best wave ever, but then the next day there'll be a tiny bit more dew on day, the grass, or the yeah. wind will be slightly different, and that same shot is never ever going to be. Yeah, no. It's, it, although you play the same course, it is different all the time. You know, George will tell you that he plays, and everyone is different. One day you shoot, you know, you think you've, you think you are going pro. Next day you think, Christ, I might be lucky to. I'd, I'd be like a golf ball. It, it is incredible how much it changes. But yeah, I, I think all sports. So I mean, Kelly Slater plays golf, doesn't he? And a load of the guys play golf. I mean, it is one of those things that is that I think it's because of. I think it's because every shot is so intense. You know, everyone is so important. There's no, there's no doubt. And there's games within games. There's putting, isn't there? There's putting stuff. You know, I know Kelly Slater is a, is a big sort of one that, that works it through and stuff. And also body movement. Cause, yeah, that rotation. Because a lot of people don't get that. But if you look at the way a golfer hits a ball, especially nowadays, and they've all worked it out, it is the way you would cut back, the way you would do a re-entry, the way you use your body to, to get the best power out of that manoeuvre. And then there's this mantra that you used to say to us a lot, and then... Uh, 
in the end it was quite effective in certain times within surfing where you'd say that you know in golf you just you know anyone can have three four consecutive shots that are as good as the top guys anyone can put one hole together or you can put one yeah. shot together I should stop you, you you tell us the theory well the thing is I could actually beat on I'm not on a day, that, I, I probably couldn't nowadays, but on, on my day, I could probably beat Tiger Woods on a hole. Yeah. So I could theoretically beat Tiger Woods on a hole, but I wouldn't beat him all the way around. And, and that, that is a real thing for, for, even when you surf, it is possible in a heat to surf three good waves. And your good waves will beat a very good surfer because he may not catch those three good waves. So as long as you put your three good ways together, you're in with a chance of beating most people. But then the top guys are the ones that put the together, top guys. They put together 18 the holes. Guy, the top guys put it always together. I mean, a lot of them. It is changing a little bit now, but most of them will play like 80%. I only need to do 80%, and and then I do it a little bit. Like I suppose, you know, as I said, as I bring it back to. You know, when you're in the final, you let loose because you've made the final. It's a bit like I'll only hit my driver my full distance and pull everything out of the bag when I need to do it. And I don't need to do it on that first hole, do I? I need to get round until I meet the 18th and then I can let, let go and, and thoroughly enjoy it. It is a good game mind for, for mindset, really. And also you compete a lot in golf. You compete even with your mates. Like if you go out, you're always competing. So you're always... You know, closer to the old, uh, five quid on this, or I bet you, you know, the next coffee we make is is that. So you're always competing. We're in surfing. I know you've got people, and we didn't do this. To be honest, we didn't do we we didn't do this. So we weren't as competitive as some of them are now. The only thing we did that I reckon was really good as a team, and this is all of us from Dave Simon Brown. We would stand on the beach. And we'd tell the guys where the waves are going. Mm -hmm. We'd stand on the beach and we'd point and go, set coming left, set coming right, set coming in the middle. And we'd sort of help them out. I can remember doing that. So we'd be down the beach and, and, and we'd try and get, get the guys through the heat and, and through whatever. You know, so we'd all do that. Where nobody seems to do that now. I mean, obviously somebody does somewhere. And maybe, I mean, they've probably got microphones now. They, they, they do it, you know. So going back to the scope story, as it were, mm. would, would it be fair to say that whereas before the, um, the problems that you found out about with your, with your kidneys, uh, whereas before that surfing and golf perhaps enjoyed an equal share of your time, that after that golf began to take the lion's share? Um, probably because, I don't know, I could say that I didn't, I lost a little bit of the, the, the buzz for surfing, to be honest with you, yeah, I lost a bit of the buzz. And as I got better at golf, that became, you know, you'd compete on the weekend. And, and the, the problem you got when you surf, uh, and it's probably the only time I have it, is FOMO. Yeah. It's terrible in surfing, out. isn't it? Yeah. It's terrible. It's surf guilt. <laughs> surf guilt. It's, right, it's a terrible thing to do. Like even if I sat here and I said, oh, I think it's three foot over scared today, you guys would be sitting here thinking, is it? Yeah, is it? It's you not know, three foot of a scale, is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that. It's that twitch. And if someone goes, I mean, 
even when I was, you know, even if I, well, not even when I was surfing, even when I was older and I was surfing, and someone would go and surf the S and I was in Rest Bay, I'd be worried the S was really good. Yeah. And the problem you get is, which I have tried to instill in George, you've got to enjoy where you are. Just enjoy where you are, because you end up surfing crap everywhere. Because <laughs> Espy's crap, rest you've made crap, because you think Espy's better. <laughs> you may as well just go, ju just enjoy where you are and get on with the job, rather than... Uh, You've you, you brought George into the conversation here, then. Your, your son George is here. At some point, we're going to try and see if we can drag him in and see. We, 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 maybe we can get a little heckle out of him or something. <laughs> some of the bits of advice you've given George over the oh, years. Oh, no. Now, these are legendary, right? Uh, and, and, you know... Going around a golf course with you and George, you're lecturing him, you're lecturing me the whole way round. Uh, George, you probably remember that time when he took us around watching the Open. At, oh, know, that was uh, good though, yeah. that was, wasn't it? It was great, and you were every single sh shot you were going, right, look at this, what this guy's doing here, look what he's doing here, look, there's the caddy with the notebook. You were it. loving life then, I was loving it, but then you stop us off by the driving range and you go, hey, George, you look, you boys will like this one, look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a golfer practicing in That the was good watching the called, golf swing. And the golfer practicing in the driving range is called Willie Wood. You're like, so, yeah, really would. Really would. Anyway, carry on and carry on to all these serious stories. Uh, I remember the first time I ever played with you, you were, um, you, you went to tell me something about my stroke. I said, Scope, no, just let me hit one shot and you can tell me whatever you want after. So you're, all right, fine, fine, fine. So I hit the ball, topped it totally, travelled about a metre. And, and you must have waited like a decade to say this. <laughs> you said, I'll tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. You're standing too close to the ball. After you hit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the most famous of all of these that's continued to do the rounds is the famous £1.60 a metre quote. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to tell it's us that? It's funny, that is. It's that's really funny. You, it, Tom always remembers this. I can remember him bringing I sort of said it really flippantly. It just, like, came out. We were at the Welsh. Uh, we were at the Welsh, bad. and George was... Uh, <laughs> Here uh, comes the heckles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, it still hurts George was surfing the heat. Funny, it was by the. It's, it's a pipe that comes out. It's right a pipe that comes pipe, out, yeah, yeah. and it was quite high tide. And he, he he was in one of his heats, and I think it cost what? Fourth like thing. A, it was probably the under tens or something. It was like a fiver <laughs> to enter or a ten well, to well, enter. Twenty quid, I think. It was a tenner to enter. So I'm sitting on the beach watching him, and he must have gone on the <laughs> whole in the whole heat. He must have stood up and gone about. Four meters. If that, the board is almost longer than he travelled along the way. And and I thought when he came out, I said, Jesus Christ, George, that cost me about one pound sixty a bloody for the heat, a meter. That did. And Tom happened to be there, and he thought it was really funny. Yeah. Where I was just flipping, it was just a flipping. I never lived it down. I, I, I never forgot. I, I took George on his first ever trip away. You know, his first ever trip without his dad. I took him to Pembroke. Oh yeah. A fiver he had. For lunch, yeah. you thought, oh, George, he's giving you a fiver for lunch, you know, you know, no, you know petrol money. That was well, that was it, you know, you know the price of these burger vans down yeah. Pembroke, I was going, oh, I think I had to top him up with a yeah, couple of quid myself, and I dropped him back off, and you said, you've given him that petrol money now, George, <laughs> <laughs> I think he was sent to Ben Crown, didn't he, <laughs> yeah, spent, spent his petrol money on lunch, no, it was funny that was, wasn't it, it, it is, it is amazing how we want, we, we try and sort of, oh, you can't, you know, as a dad, you, you obviously want your son to do as well as he can, but you can only do so much, can't you? You know, you can only do that anyway. Hey, you've, no. you've done well. He's a he's a smashing kid, and he's, uh, you know, in, in all ways, and he's got a good couple of big surf titles. Yeah, to do and, he, well, so. and he can grow air, can't he? That's and, amazing. And he thinks he, thinks he surfs better than you. Is this true? He thinks he's he surfs better than me. I've never seen Do you know, that. I think... I think um, 
You're steering apart. Yeah, I, I think. Do you know something? If you put us, if you actually, we, we've had this discussion, but I always think that if if I looked at the guys now, the the surfers around Portugal, I probably think they they would be they would be better than me. But I would like to think that if I had their equipment and I was them. I would be better. Well, we had that conversation. But, but I the, think the comparison that people often make about the seventies uh, Welsh rugby fifteen yeah. against the current one. No, and it obviously is, yeah. the current one would beat them. However, given the opportunities and the training and yeah. the nutrition and goodness knows what, would that seventies squad hold up? Yeah, to them? they probably would. They, they would. I, I would like to think that the people around here are better than we are. I think, but surfing for whatever reason, and I don't know why has sort of moved ahead of a lot of people in Wales and, and I don't know why that is you know I'm not, I can't solve that problem but it, it moved on you know from when we were there I don't think if I don't think if if you know I can only speak for myself but I don't think if I was around now I would be British champion because I think the people elsewhere are better than they've moved on are you with me as i said before and i'll come back to it we were in a great era for welsh surfing and we had great people behind us pj you know your father as well you know all of those people were good in the in uh, around here and we had that and i don't know why it left i you know i sometimes put it down to boards but uh, but who, who am i to say that but i'm just saying that uh I look and I think I wouldn't have made the difference. I don't think I would have been sort of, you know, you wouldn't have come round here and gone, oh God, you're British champion. I, I don't think I would have been. And we lived in a good era. I tell you why as well, is we flew to uh, Australia on British Airways and we paid like 50 quid or something. You know, we didn't, it was all paid for. We had wetsuits and we had tracksuits. It was, it was banging. It was really good. And, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't always uh, sunshine and, and roses, Mark. And some things were slightly more difficult, such as a, a trip to the north of Scotland. Yeah, we did a trip. When we um, went for the European surf competition, uh, myself and Brad decided to go up earlier with uh, a guy called Chris Chip. And the car he had was a Robin Reliant Kitten. Now, what a Robin Reliant kitten is, is exactly the same as a Robin Reliant, except with four wheels. That's the only difference. Yeah. So it was as light as a feather, it was really small, and it had a, I think it was a 950, but it could have been a 650 engine in it. Like a two-stroke. Like, <laughs> literally, like a little ditty engine in the front. Anyway, he reckoned that this thing could get to Scotland. So we strapped our six surfboards on the top of this van, and off we went. We didn't. We couldn't do it all in one go. We stopped. I think we stopped in Inverness, actually. But I can remember bombing our way up there in this Reliant, and it would go really fast down the hills, and then we'd go really slow up the hills, really <laughs> slow. And if anybody's been to Scotland, which you've all been, they are long, drawn-out roads yeah, once you get past. Yeah. Oh, it's so a long way away from Inverness. Where, once next. you get past Manchester, Scotland seems like great. I'm in Scotland, but you've got the same distance to go. And this is all pretty new to us anyway to go up to Scotland. So this little Robin Reliant would bomb up there and it was so funny. I can remember him like telling us to drive and stuff. 
because he was taking, you know, we were just sitting there for ages and we'd sit on the wheel. I can remember being like white knuckled because we, we couldn't, uh, I didn't have a driving license or anything and we were there driving away, holding on on these roads that were going mm, and they'd go really fast. And if there's a car in front, you'd hope the car would go up the hill before you actually met the car, so you didn't have to overtake it. Lose your revs. So you'd be going down the hill like, like the clappers, and you'd be going, don't lose your speed, don't lose your speed. And you're going, there's a car in front, there's a car in the front. The Chris Chip School of God, Yeah, no, it was amazing. And the other thing he used to make us do, he used to, uh, this is, I mean, this was, these these were just classic so times. Chris because, uh, used to take people on trips, didn't he? Oh, stuff. Chris was great. I mean, and he's chipped Some people live in, because he lived in Chippenham, and there Chippen, were loads of chips. Chris O'Connor, and, and, we mentioned in the yeah, last Yeah, and it's a classic Welsh thing, isn't it? Yeah. You, 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 you name the people where they come from. So that, that's how he got the name. But I, I got on really well with Chris, and I still do. And so, so did Brad. And um, anyway, what we used to do, we used to either go around his house or he'd take us on trips and he used to make us mow his lawn and stuff before he'd take us to like Aberavon. We had great <laughs> things, but his wife would want him to mow the lawn. So he'd have like four of us there mowing the lawn, sweeping up all of it really quickly and off we'd go then to Aberavon. We'd clean windows and everything for him. But what Chris had done back then, leashes were basically bungee cords. They were bungee cords. So when you fell off, the board could be about three miles away from you, and what you hoped is it didn't come out of the water. If it uh, tombstone, didn't it? If it was fully like stuck up, and that as it came down, it would come back at you faster than than you could believe. It would fire back at you. And Chris used to make these leashes, and these leashes were made from the rubber that goes across the road that used to uh, do speed. Yeah, they like things. one after the other, don't they? Yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's like a pressure thing. They still it? have Pushes them now. Again. You see them I think they do counting now, don't they? Okay. Every time we went over one of them, we had to get out and rip it up from the road, <laughs> wind it up, and put it in the car in <laughs> his van. In his van, because what he would do, he'd make a leash out of it, and he he had he had got a way that he could he, he used like a jubilee clip to clamp the end, and then you'd stick it in a vice, and you'd stretch it like as long as you could stretch it and so the cord would go inside the actual leash and then you'd put another clip on the end it was quite if that came out of the vice you knew about it and then you'd put another clip on the end and it would all go back in and there you go you, you, you got a leash then and when we were down in Cornwall we'd have to go and sell them then around the car parks <laughs> for our keep like but in fairness to him when I went with Chris I can remember petrol being 36 he, I don't know whether it'll match it, but I always remember 36 pence a gallon. And he used to charge us like a fiver each, which was, seemed a lot. And we'd go around Cornwall, we'd go everywhere around Cornwall. There wasn't a break that he didn't take us to. We had the map with the winds and everything. And we'd get up in the morning and he'd say, right, we're going here, we're going here. And he used to take us everywhere around Cornwall, everywhere. Anyway, Constantine was a nice place we, we used to serve, but everywhere he took us. And we used to stop, and then if the car park was full, it was but hop out, boys, go and flog some leashes, go on, and off we'd trundle, go and buy a leash, mate. And, and at the time, I don't think we weren't, um, all we were was just normal surfers, you know, we were just having a ball. It was like an adventure, if you know what I mean, rather than now it's all, you know, we used to use the leashes to hang on the back of bikes. And so if you've got a leash, and you and, and it would guy riding in the front. You'd be like a, on a skiing on a skateboard. You'd be banging. <laughs> you can see it on the yeah. prom, can't you? Yeah. The guy's riding home, and you're on the back. Somebody walk skiing on your yeah. on, on on the bungee, and it and you could 
pull yourself in, you could go right away and you could have a bit of power then to, to like shoot yourself along. Because we just, our parents didn't pick us up. It's not because they were nasty, they just didn't do that sort of stuff. It wasn't sort of the age of, you know, we've got to be perfect parents. It was just, you know, I've got kids, let them live, innit? Let, let them go Free on. Free range it. kids. Yeah. But it was, it was more of an adventure and we felt, because we surfed, I'm sure all of them would say that, we felt a little bit different. I would imagine even your dad and stroke your mum felt different when they were back in the day. Yeah. It wasn't sort of like every, feels like everybody surfs now, or gives it a go, don't they? Yeah. You know, everybody is. Well, back when, when we <coughs> were, they didn't. It was, God, if there was, if there was, if the, if the sea was pumping and there was five of us in the sea, now I'm talking the whole of Rest Bay now, there's five guys in, we would sit in a little bunch and our boards would tangle up because we'd let the leases go, we'd let the boards go because we hadn't learned how to duck dive and all the boards would be tangled up and we'd have to untangle them that and yet we got the whole of Rest Bay. <laughs> it just seems mad, it's almost like, wh wh why were you doing that? But we were li literally like bouncing around right, right by us. Well, that's it, Dad talks about turning up at Rest Bay or any, any break and you kind of, sometimes you wait for someone to turn up to go surfing with them rather than now you aim Absolutely. to avoid them at all costs. You know, I, I, I can remember surfing the point and you'd be ringing people up to, to get it. I remember surfing the point before they surfed the point without wind. You know, it had to be a really windy day to surf the point. It wouldn't surf, you know, we'd surf the rest of the day. when it was clean. Just oh, it didn't even heard of. It was only because, uh, only because one day I can remember going from my house with Mike Schilling and it, it probably didn't happen exactly like this, but it feels that it did. We went from where my house and with Mike Schilling, I had taken time off school, so my mother lived down by the point. So instead of going to Rest Bay, we went in the point. And the swell was really good, and the point was pumping. And we couldn't believe we were sitting in the point with no wind. Do you, do you know what I mean? In these sets, and, and it was like classic point. Uh, and we were in there, and there was... I tell you who was in there then. Was it... Beasley? Beezer? Beezer. But he was a really good surfer, he, he, I can remember he, watching him. He might him. actually no might. longer be with yeah. us, if that's the uh, guy you He actually about. moved yeah. down to northern Spain, is that yeah. him? Uh, there were a few, weren't there? There was a really good skateboarder as well. Um, he moved down to northern Spain. So you were there with Beezer? No, it was, it was just, it was like the four of us were in the sea, and I couldn't believe how good it was. And then after that, it felt as if we would always be hunting like we always are, if there's a chance. Days. But in fairness, it was never as busy. If you had ten guys out there, it would be busy for us, you know. We'd, we'd just be phoning each other up. No. And the S was a really good break as well. God, before they built that stupid, uh, well, it's not stupid, but the before the beach. break... You could actually, you could actually try and catch the wave and it would hit the wall and it would have a backwash. Yeah. So you could try and come back on the backwash. Wow. And, and also we used to surf it more. It could go lower when you surfed it. And we used to surf it a little bit smaller and it was a lot faster. It was just like a different wave. You know, it didn't do, do that bit. They were really good times over in the, in the Espo. They were good. You know, last week's episode, the first part of the Mark Schofield interview, um, we left off just, um, well, after you'd had your first kidney transplant, Mark, and you were getting quite heavily into golf, mm. and you were still surfing, 
but perhaps not um, as much as you were, mm. or with not as much dedication perhaps as you yeah. were before that. But it was also during this period that you embarked upon your career in the surf industry. And I've, yeah. I've kind of got surf industry in inverted commas at this point. Um, but it, it had started some years earlier, I believe, selling wetsuits out of your out of your bedroom. Yeah. It had started... Originally, it started when uh, your dad, Bob Blythe, came to me and he said, uh, how do you fancy selling... Oh, you were 50, 15, 16? Yeah, I was, I, was, I was a little older than that, I think. I was a little bit older than that. But he, he, he said, look, uh, I, I know um, Tom Shellock. Tom uh, Andy Shellock. And, Andy Shellock. Tom Shellock, so my name is. Is that he's, Second Skin? My, yes. Yeah, exactly. Second Skin. Dad, dad had the agency second for skin. that, I think. And uh, I think he was okay. sponsoring you at the time. Yeah, he, he actually and gave And you'd me, obviously proven yourself your ability to fashion leashes from rubber in the first well, place. Well, so. no, that, that was just... That was just Chris telling us to do crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, no, what he'd done, he'd said that uh, I could sell the wetsuits, and if I sold a wetsuit, I'd get a tenner, so, um, or a fiver or whatever it was. So in my room, I had loads of second skin wetsuits, and at that time, they had, I think Norma's was around, but nobody was really doing wetsuits mm -hmm. in that way, so I was flogging these wetsuits out of, uh, out of my bedroom, basically. They were good, they were classic wetsuits, the zip went all the way down to your... Down I, I to your grew up thigh. with second skin wetsuits and I mean Andy's still going, he still makes fantastic suits yeah, but they're really I remember suits. having kind of inherited those suits that my sister had worn before me and just yeah, spending yeah. the whole day in the sea and not even feeling, I don't think you felt the water let alone the cold. Well and also they were like the zip was down to your bloody nuts so you, you bloody everything got cold because you were sitting in the water. The only good thing was was the boards were slightly more buoyant, so you were a so little bit more. Right. <laughs> Whereas now they're like up to their chest, and they? they're like sitting there, like, oh, you see, look, I can see his chest. So that was that yeah. was kind of your first foray into yeah, the surf yeah, industry. Was, but yeah. you, you tried your hand at a few things. You, you tried your hand at shaping. But you said it was a I bit, did. My bit parents, too smelly. My parents had a caravan in the back garden. I say, like a big caravan in the back garden, and. Uh, what I did was I turned it into a, a shaping room. I decided I wanted to make surfboards. So I had uh, a shaping bay in the end of it, in one of the rooms. I'd knocked two in, you know, if you imagine one of those caravans. Each room was, was, a, was a job to make. And I made, I think I only made two or three boards, okay? Now, Brad actually did ride one of my boards. It was a spotted one, I think, Brad had, which is really good of him to just buy it, really, you know, because, you know, he's a really good surfer and he was getting on somebody's board that, you know, looking back on it, they're okay. Well, I'm going to tell you because the original one is actually, I, I'm in the process, hopefully, of buying it. I got a photo of it. This is a, a running theme in Crest. We've been talking about people keeping yes. and finding their boards yeah. and having old boards. I, I and must not admit. I must admit, I'm not a massive. I'm not a massive one for that. I wouldn't go out. Just this one. The reason why I sort of like this because, and I'll say why. It came about because I had to go into clinic one day, and the lady on reception always talks to me like she tells me about her son surfing and stuff and all his adventures, and she tells him. And the other day she goes, "My son's got your original surfboard you bought." And I went, yeah, 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 you know, like thinking she's just being nice. And I'm thinking, didn't even, didn't even think about it. And she goes, I'll tell you what, I'll bring you a photo of it. Do you know, when I went in the next time, she showed me this photo of 
this surfboard that was either the first or the second board I'd ever done or I tried to shape. I honestly couldn't believe it. I literally couldn't believe me. She floored me. And that's why now I'm like thinking, yeah, I think I'd like that one. And George can surf it. You can't surf any worse, can he? <laughs> he might surf better on it. A twin fin. Do you see the shape of it? Yeah, a I teardrop. Did, yeah, yeah. A teardrop twin fin with a, with a, sh with a swallow, with a squash so tail. It's quite um, self-deprecating, I'd say, about the, your surfboard shaping. But you, you then went on to, to find a niche working with textiles and, and of course, yeah. finding the famous... No limit wetsuits. No limit wetsuits. Yeah. Now, now of Greg Owen. Now Greg Owen. Now that came about because I. It sounds bad now. I did wet. Surfboards are really smelly to do. Mm -hmm. They're even worse than they were. Now I think they just because now they've got resin, haven't they? They've got resin that is uh, almost They're odorless. They're working on it. Yeah. yeah. Odorless, you know. That's part of the fun, though. Fresh, fresh yeah. boards, huh? Yeah. Not but it's it, all in your clothes. Yeah. I remember going. I used to work in a chip shop in um when studio one it used to be the cinema in in uh, treco used to be open and i worked in a chip shop up there and i just like glassed this board and i went up there to work and i went in there and she goes what the hell's this smell i said what smell she goes someone is buzzing in here <laughs> and i'm like thinking you can't smell over chips can you fish and chips they buzz all the stuff and she goes, someone is stinking in here. And the woman was a really nice woman. She had black hair, I remember really vividly. And I'm sitting there, and my job was to peel the potatoes. And But they had a potato machine, I'd shove the potatoes in there. And she goes, someone is stinking in this place, and what is it? And it turns out it was me, and I was sent home then to go and get changed, because I was buzzing from <laughs> making the surfboards. But yeah, what I did then, sorry, got, got offline, I, I only just remembered that. Um, I went then and I decided I wanted to make wetsuits and I really thought this was a good idea because there weren't, I say there weren't many people making wetsuits, there weren't a lot of people and I felt that, um, yeah, I, I could make a wetsuit and I actually knew a guy who was a tailor and I went to him to show me how to make the patterns and, and, and do that and I started making wetsuits. I, I, the WDA actually had the Welsh, the Welsh Development Agency as it was then, they had a unit in uh, to Forest Industrial Estate that allowed textile people to try and set their business up so they could they could get started. And I went in there and I got on really well with the people that were in there and they had a machine in there that would do it. In fact, they bought the machine in for me to actually do it because they were all for that sort of stuff. And I started making wetsuits. And I enjoyed that. I surfed as well as making wetsuits. There's, there's some pictures of those. There's quite a few people that actually had those wetsuits. They're, they, they, they're, they're actually okay. And I stopped because at that point, what we did was we were, myself and Ben then went into ben, Ruddle. Great surfer. He is a good yeah. surfer, yeah. And he was a really good guy, he was. He was a good friend, Ben was. And Ben and me set up a business making no limit wetsuits. And the funny thing about it, back then, Neoprene has done the same thing now again, it's sort of come into to fashion. But back then, uh, we would be making our, our wetsuits and then we started making all the wetsuits but just stitching them together, gluing them and stitching them together. That's basically what so we did. So they'd send them to you as like a So they'd send them all cut up and we would actually stitch them together, you know, uh, sewing and stuff and that, that's really what we started doing. And then we got a, a phone call then from a guy who wanted us to make the 
uh, knee protectors and arm protectors. And it was just a random phone call, to be honest. And he said, do you, do, do you use Neopin? Yeah, yeah, and he wanted, he, we started making them then. We started making some of them. And that's really how the factory grew. And then it, we stopped making wetsuits when we were offered a factory in Port Talbot making ladies' clothing. And what we did, we took the no limit bit and there was a room that we could put it in. So we put all the, the materials and the machines and stuff we had in the room. And we offered Greg an opportunity. Greg was like really keen because what he did, I think he either did the repairs or he came every so often to do stuff. And he then started doing it. I can remember once finding him asleep in between the sheets of neoprene. <laughs> he'd come down because we always wanted him to be there at a certain time if he could. And he'd come down, he jumped in the, he got in between the neoprenes and he's like fast asleep like a little baby. And there he was. Mm. But he was only young then. He, he was a young boy. But he then um, set off. We, we, we did have a few occasions that he was... There's a few occasions, because our main thing was, what we didn't want him to do was we didn't want any grief from it. Do you know, like... It's like a hands-off thing. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I don't want grief. I don't want people ringing me up, telling me you haven't mm. turned out. And there was occasion that he did it, but after that, Greg did it, and look at him now. He makes yeah, a great yeah, wetsuit. And he's, he and he's still got the same machines that he had in the beginning. Yeah. A treasure a blind stitch machine and a triple-stitch singer machine. Yeah. And he's still got them. I could still he, repair those machines. And he makes a fabulous wetsuit. He does a good job, Greg. So does. Yeah, he's a good guy. You then grew in terms of your involvement in the surf industry, or, or I suppose the industry you were in grew. We've got the internet, we've got the growth of the surf media, we've got sponsorship, big sponsorship making surfers and products grow. We've got, you know, Oki. Mm. Uh, Billabong hitch their star to Oki, Quicksilver hitch their star to Slater, the two companies become sort yeah. of stratospheric, Rip Curler hitch to Curran, and this then is where, you know, Brad Hockridge, your buddy from yeah, school, yeah. Yeah. he's also in and around Billabong at exactly the right time, gets himself well placed, and then you guys end up essentially yeah, uh, industry kingpins, I well, suppose, really. You know. I wouldn't say, I said, what, Brad did really well with Billabong. And when he had finished Billabong, I think he was all he was doing Globe, so he, he didn't need anything else. Yeah. But someone had offered him the realm to do. Yeah. And it so happened that we were playing football together. And he said one day about getting stuff made, and as it, I, I was actually I actually knew people that could get stuff made in in the Far East. Um, Th this is the the clothing factory in uh, Leong, spelt with an R, isn't it, in Thailand? Yeah, some of, well, in fairness, there was a lot of factories being used, but yeah, yeah, because you yeah. guys went over there a few times. You went, you yeah, we, we we went quite a lot. But basically, he showed me a rack of clothes that he had been given by um, one of his guys that Brad knew, and he said, "Do you reckon you could get those made?" And uh, I said yes, and then from there. We sort of met with people, and it was a it was a hard job then, and I tell you why because we didn't have all of the the instant photos and and all of that. We basically had to, you know, pack the garment up. And we would send it by small post to get it to Thailand. They would look at the model. I'd ring up on the phone and try and talk it to them. Now you've got video stuff and all that. It's amazing how far it's come from when we did, and then we would fly over there, visit the people in the factories. And off we'd go, but and we then had. You'd fly the other way to California and meet. Yeah, we would. We would sometimes. It would usually the, you know, for the meetings and stuff. We we would then go to, 
you know, California and stuff. But the Thailand trips and, and that used to be really nice trips. Yeah. I mean, I unfortunately lost some of those. When, I, when my kidney failed again, I couldn't, I couldn't travel like that again. But at that moment, it was a really good... It was, it was again, it felt as if we were, we were learning again. It was an adventure, you know, it was a full-on adventure. We, so. We're going to come to talking about the fact that there's more... Uh, there, there, there's another big low to come, you know, to come in your story. But right now, yeah. dealing with this high, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about those those days? You know, I mean, you know, you guys were, you were meeting Tom Curran. I remember you brought one one day. One of you was like, oh, you know, we've got, can you guys go and pick someone up from the airport for oh, us, those, please? It's a, it's a guy it? called Matt Archbold, and you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you were surrounded and, but, and by. And also, it's working with your friends in yeah. what you've already mentioned is a is an industry that was kind of running at full air at that yeah. point, wasn't it? It was, it was good times in the surfing No, industry. when we started it off, when, when it was at the beginning, and there was, um, well, first of all, it was, I'm going to say me and Brad, but I had met somebody um, in, another thing I was doing was hockey shirts. I was getting hockey shirts made, and the person who was designing them, Andrew McLean, he, he was my mate, and I said to him, I said, oh, Brad sort of got this real sorted now. This is really good. This is great. Thing. I didn't know some of this stuff. You know, Did, me, I, I, knowing Andrew McLean well, but I didn't know you guys went back. Before yeah, that, yeah. You know, yeah. No, this is a really good, good idea now, Andrew. I, I think Brad's got this. I can remember in a in a cafe in in um, Cardiff, and I said, I think Brad's going to do do this good now. He just seems to be 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 on it with it, and he was actually working for. Um, uh, he was working for Shine Dog, the company was called, which I had done. We'd made hockey shirts for all the hockey league, basically, and that's what we were doing. I was getting all the hockey shirts made with Andrew was designing them and I was getting them made. And so from that, we sort of, I'm going to say we sort of pinched in from Shannon, but it wasn't quite like that. And then Andrew came over. First of all, just part-time, we'd go over his house and we'd go through the whole range bit by bit. We'd go through the range and say, right, we like that, we like that, we don't like that. Send it over, get it all made, and it was basically come in, box would come in, and you'd think, great, this you know, looks yeah. pretty good. And then if things were wrong, we'd have to then rejig them and rewrite them. But Andrew was then designing it. But those times working with Andrew, with Brad, with and as it got bigger it was Rhino who was an amazing guy to work with you know he came on board as well there was Jen there was like so many people there this is in the beginning the very start of it all it's funny again I'm coming back to it it's almost you we always want something bigger don't we we always want it to be bigger but sometimes bigger doesn't make it better you know, when when I look back, when it was, when we were striving to get there, it felt better. I think the classic one is Del Boy, the end of Del Boy, isn't it? You know, yeah. when it, it's almost you forget that it's the fight, it, it's the journey that it's is more important fight, yeah. than reaching it. And sometimes when you reach the top, you you people have fallen off, and people that you you sort of you know were good. It was good times in the beginning. I mean, there's not a company that isn't. Look at Facebook. Look at any of them. Yeah. There's casualties in all of that, isn't yeah. there? And in the beginning, it was great. So uh, during that period, as we mentioned earlier, surfing had kind of taken a, a bit of a backseat yeah. for you. Did 
working in this kind of environment oh, no, with that, your friends? Did it kind of reignite? No, that stoke? pulled me back in. Yeah, I, I must. I served loads then, and that was one of the beautiful things about it. I can honestly say, for a period of time, for quite a long period of time, to be honest, for a good few years, I was, I was relatively healthy. I mean, I wasn't great, but I was relatively healthy in the beginning. And, you know, I didn't even care what day it was because if I got up on a Monday and I'd do a surf, I'd go surfing. Yeah. And then we'd have a surf and then we'd go back to work. Yeah, and, yeah you'd and be sitting there in the point and it would be good and then I'd suddenly see those three double overhead vans yeah, all we come could down turn and, oh, up. here they come. No, we <laughs> could turn up and, 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 and it was perfect. It, it, was, it was a dream, you know, we worked... I think we worked pretty hard when, when we had to, and then, you know, but we could work when, when we wanted to. There wasn't like being you at were, nine o'clock. Yeah, you, know, you, you were, um, you know, lords, kingpins, dons, whatever you were for a while. You know, I, I remember. Well, I didn't actually feel that, to be quite honest with you. I mean, you I, looked at, I remember going to see you guys in the, in, in the, the big trade show in Anglet at the Gleese Expo. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you two were sort of sat at the deep end of the trade show. Holding court. In this, yeah, yeah with, with like a queue of little French grands turning up yeah, every now no, and then, I, begging you for a free t shirt. I don't think it was. Uh, you were saying, oh, you're off to Mandaka tomorrow. Now, Tom Curran showed me how to surf Mandaka properly last yeah. week. You know, it's yeah. like. <laughs> It, it was it was it was good. It wasn't quite like that. I don't feel as if I was the dawn right because there's people that have, you know, there's people Ever that, that, that are, you know, there are people, you know, there's that have done loads more, you know, quicksilver people. I mean, I've been very fortunate to do the to sit with the founders of NHS. Which is basically the founders of not Nybevan. Oh no, no, no not Nybevan. No, 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 sorry, <laughs> Novak. Yeah, um, and I don't know all. I don't know the, the others. That, that independent yes, trucks independent and, um, trucks Santa Cruz Santa has come Cruz, out of. Yeah. And when you listen to their stories, and you listen to some of them they've done, you know, you sit there in awe, and you can't believe that you know they're talking about all the groups, the mummers and papas, and oh yeah, he yeah. came round when we were doing this, and when we did these trucks in the beginning. Yeah, but you guys stuff. had the Welsh rugby team round. Yeah, you know, I yeah, no, we did. Turning up, I remember James Hawkins on his way out the door. And Gannett's the Welsh rugby team. We did. The well, what what happened with the Welsh what? rugby team was was um, like I'm not a massive rugby guy, so the tickets and stuff didn't really, you know, they'd mm -hmm. they'd give tickets, but they started coming around, and this was a good time as well. And they'd come round, and some of them were brilliant. Some of them would wear the clothes, and they'd do everything. They, they, they were brilliant. Others, you could see, they had no intention of wearing the clothes. They were taking the clothes to give to people. Yeah. You know, it was like, hey, mate, would you like a round T-shirt? But they, they weren't going to wear it. But a fair few of them did, in fairness. But it did, it got to the point whereby they were... You know, they were li literally clearing out the warehouse. The funny thing is, though, I tell you what I did find is their sizes changed. We had to make to, we had to make a range bigger. <laughs> sample, you as know, as rugby became a more muscly sport. Yeah. Or, or is it because they were? <laughs> as rugby became a more, when they went off to the camp. As rugby <laughs> became a more muscly sport, as they <laughs> trained harder. <laughs> Yeah, as they trained harder. But Gareth Thomas, he was no. he was always in a round T-shirt, wasn't he? You know, this is Gareth the, Thomas was the man. When it came to us, he was the man, and uh, and he, he he treated us well. So so it, let's it, have less of this. Hey, you know, you don't want my stories, guys. You want Novak stories. Yeah, this no, is, he treated you know, us we're, well. The, your stories yeah, are what we want. Yeah, 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 yeah no, he Cass, treated us. I raise you a Gareth Thomas. Yeah, no, he 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 was he appreciated what what was done for him by by 
by a long way. And, and now from the highs, it's during your time working in double overhead that you suddenly realise the second kidney yeah. is also failing. And then yeah. this was a massive health and well-being. Yeah, the second one. The um, the second one was the second one was was it started to fail and uh, it, it was pretty hard because I I sort of I had a good good life really I had a good life I had a good family a good job and, and and this thing is failing away you know and uh, I find that I I was again I'm going to say Brad treated me incredibly well and he. Um, I decided that I was going to try and get a kidney from from abroad, and the Philippines was the place I was going to go. All, you know, I'm going to say legitimate. It was legitimate at that time, and uh, that's what I decided to do. But I was on dialysis. The reason I tried because I waited a while here. I was on dialysis, and I home dialyzed. So basically. Yeah, we used I, to come round and we, yeah, we no, taught you, you to did. play Very poker, good. Yeah, we, yeah, you taught us to play poker. You were really good coming round because although I didn't sit on it for ages because I dialysed all of the time, I'm still sitting on there. But uh, I had to stick my own needles in my arm. You, you, you have a fist and you stick your needles in and the blood then pumps around the machine. I'm doing it very, very pumps around the machine and acts like your kidney. And I would always need a bit of help doing it. This is a funny story now. And I'd need help doing it. Usually I could do it pretty good on my own, but I would need a little bit of help holding some of the stuff. And this time, uh, George was helping me. Do you remember this, George? George is helping me doing the, the needles. Yeah. And I stuck the needles in, and I hadn't connected it up properly. So I turned oh, the no. machine on, <laughs> and the blood was squirting everywhere. <laughs> and I couldn't work out where this blood is coming from. And I'm thinking, <laughs> and George, George is like <laughs> standing there, and he goes, Dad, I'm not sure I like this. And he's just standing <laughs> there because like he can't do anything. But he goes, so much oh, God, like I, I'm not sure whether I like this. And the machine's going around the blood, and I'm trying to find out, God, God, Christ, yeah. I can't find out why you put the wrong over. That fistula thing that they put in your wrist was a pretty horrid contraption as well, wasn't yeah. it? Because, because you came in and met some of my students, didn't you? I did, and, yeah. And, and I, I remember did, yeah. you inviting one of them to touch it, and this... Yeah, this guy jumped thrilled. like three foot in the it's air because it yeah. was like a, it was like an electronic buzzing yeah, kind like of a buzz. lump in they, your wrist. They put a fistula in. They change. They what they do is they they cut the the the, the archery and they connect it to a vein. And because uh, arterial pressure is greater than venous pressure, the vein gets bigger. It grows. Right. And it obviously grows. It can grow quite big. I mean, my my mine was quite an animal. It was quite a big thing up my arm. Um, basically, so you can get the needles in in in, in a bit better. So that's um, that was that. And it felt because the flow would go down your arm and then fizz back up. It felt like a. It's called a thrill. It just you can feel it going. But when someone touches it, they think there's a little pump in there or something. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that, but that was a massive part of me, that was. So you briefly touched upon there, Scope, that you travelled to the Philippines yeah, yeah. in search of the re replacement kidney, and the BBC came along for the ride, didn't they, with a documentary team? They did, they and did. I mean, it was aired on, it was certainly BBC Wales, I remember watching it at the time, and it was... It was week in, week out, I think it was. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was a weekend, week out, end when it was, yeah. And... Um, 
it was really quite moving, wasn't it? And it was well, it, it furthered the uh, debate. And I, so it was yeah, presumed, presumed I mean, consent didn't exist then. Of course, it was before that time, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it did. It, it before it must have we, helped. We did the opting out. We opting outside. Uh, yeah, I mean. Really, I'd been on dialysis a fair while, and I can't remember how long, but a fair while. But it reaches a point that, um, and I sort of reached that point. Dialysis is is fine, but you can sort of only be on it so long before you start going down a tipping point you'll never get back from. So even if they bung a kidney in, you're never going to be back to, you are going to give you damage. It's not a perfect solution. And I know you said you were, because you were, you were doing it so often, you didn't have to spend too much time on it, but... Again, even an hour or two a day, I imagine, is super restrictive. It is, and yeah. I mean, it means you have to plan everything. That's the worst thing. I, what I what I did, what, what I was allowed to do, which was was good for me, is I did a couple of hours every day. So that meant that I could virtually eat and drink quite normally. But what I couldn't do is anything impulsive. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't. If I surfed, I would have to do two hours. So I'd have to fit everything around it. Like if you said, come down the pub, I couldn't miss a session. Mm -hmm. Or if I missed a session, I'd have to double up the next day. And then, you know, sometimes yeah, I'd think it's not worth day, it. It's yeah. not worth the double up, so I'm not going to bother doing it. So, yeah, it was, it was just hard work, really. I even look at it now and think it was hard work. But, you know, that made it bearable. That I, the I still kept yeah. working. That prompted going away and seeing if I could... Which, I mean, uh, buy a kidney, basically. I mean, in, a, in, in the end, it, it wasn't a successful trip. No. In terms you didn't get a kidney from that trip. No. But um, it was almost, I think, a, pretty much a year to the day afterwards, the phone rang. It was. On West Park Drive. And yeah, the phone. There were, I, I mean, I I'd literally, because I'm, a, I'm a, a relatively rare blood group, not super rare but relatively rare like 10 percent b rhesus negative like 10 percent of the population yeah. nowadays they can do a lot more though with different blood groups and stuff so it's not quite quite as hard and i reached the point that uh i thought this was it you know and i was trying to really i started to try and get my mind around the fact this is it this is this is where you're at like so just make the most of it and then um the phone rang now funny enough Every I've I've had it done. I had the phone ring twice. Now, by what I say, the phone ring. The phone rings and they tell you they've got a kidney. You got to pack Which your bags. Which means that and you've somebody got to come in. young and in good health. Well, it doesn't even matter if they're young. It means some poor good person health. or some nice person has lived their life, you know, as much as they can, and they've had an accident, and yeah. obviously they've been good enough to donate their kidneys or their organs or whatever they do. So someone is inside but on I think George answered the phone on both of those occasions as I remember and uh, the first one I went in all excited ready to go and basically it was a false start they did my blood test and they said oh it, it's there's a few antigens they're not happy with so I get sent home without anything and then another guy gets brought in and he has a go so I was just sent oh god I'm off home again yeah. but on the second ring it was um it was okay as it happened and yeah it was okay that it, was, it was that was around 2008 i think i was i remember coming to visit it was about 2000 out, yeah and uh, yeah so yeah i was slower that time the first time i had my kidney i got up really quickly it was a big wait as well for the drugs to you know because it kick in to start working because because your body fights a, a, an alien organ, yeah yeah doesn't it? 
Now the crazy thing about that was, was the first one worked straight away. My mum's did, so they put it in and it worked straight away. The second one is they put it in and it was fine, but it didn't work. It just didn't work. So I'm sitting there, I've come up from having the kidney thinking, great, but it wasn't working. So they leave you sort of fill up with fluid, and I mean fill up with fluid. And uh, it went seven days, and I'd have a tube, you know, catheter in me, and a little bit would come out, like a little ditty bit would come out, and nothing, you know, n nothing good. And then for some reason the catheter went a bit dodgy, so they had to take the catheter out, and the day after they did that, it was like on the seventh day, I couldn't stop pissing. Which I is good news. I couldn't stop pissing, so the kidney had booted into gear, and off it went. It wow. just started going. And then it was just like they call it sleeping. They did a biopsy of it, you know, they, they stab it and take a little, and they said, no, everything's fine with it, there's nothing wrong. But apparently it was just sleeping, they call it. Yeah. Back and in the water. And then it woke up, and then, yeah, I was, I was back. I didn't, I, I didn't sort of, I came back okay, but each time the mountain's a little harder to climb, you know. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, I was okay. I I could surf and I could play golf and I could do those things. Um, yeah, it was good. It it, it it was really good. Yeah. And will will nowadays you still have to take drugs to deal with the immune system? You take it. Oh, I take it all the time. I mean, those drugs have really. Uh, They've affected me all the way through. Well, they've affected me really badly now, as it turned out, because from there, um, what was I, five or six years after that, I had um, tonsil cancer. So that that was pretty bad. I didn't feel bad or anything, you know, I didn't feel very bad. I felt okay, as it turned out, but I wasn't. I think you were in Australia then, weren't you, George? Mm -hmm. George is in Australia, and Gosh. and he had to come back, did he? I, yeah. I remember telling you. Oh, we were at Manly, weren't we? Yeah. We were, yeah. yeah. After we'd been in the pub. Yeah. Very and emotional. I think, I think we found out in. Oh, it was the night before you were going back, wasn't it? West, yeah. Or I think we found out. When we I remember. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was. Um, it was gutting, really, because I'd sort of. It's one way I go. I go. I go every month. I used. I go every month to get my bloods tested. And um, I was just hoping I could get through that month and then go on to the next month and then go on to the next month. Yeah. And I remember I, I was touching my, under my jaw and I could feel just a little lump. I said, Joe, what like that is there? And she goes, oh, nothing is, so it's just a gland. And when you go into these clinics, any lumps and bumps, they go mad. And it was like as if bloody, from feeling okay, you know, my kidney was okay. And I'm thinking, all oh, right, I'm getting another month. Just the shit at the fan. It was done really quickly though, but the shit at the fan, you know, and then you're away. So I've said to you a few times that you should get a job. Well, get a job, is that the right word for it? <laughs> you could be a motivational speaker. I mean, I remember you coming in and talking to my students that time. No, I, I'm... But you've, you've got something. You've learned no. something that, from you, that. You've made a really interesting point a moment ago, Scott, and you, you said that each time that there's a kind of a hill to climb, mm. getting back up after it becomes mm. that much more difficult. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, you do it time and time again. And some you, you, as Tom's kind of alluding to here, there must be kind of a method to that. Perhaps you find 
uh, a positive, a, a glimmer of. Yeah, that well, that's what I do. That that is. Um, I mean, in 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 all of them, I do. I mean, I've had. I mean, I don't know how far forward you want to go, but I've I've always tried to, or I always try, even in most stuff I do, I'll try and find the one good thing, just the one good thing. It may be over in the corner, but it's a good thing. You know, I use it with Jane when, if you're tidying a really dirty room, some people don't know where to start, it's, it's chaotic. But if you can find one thing, it's sort of like, right, I'll put all the greens over there. And as you put the greens there, you make space for the blues. Do you see what I mean? So suddenly you've got a pattern going here. So from my point of view, it would be, uh, do you know, I'm okay. I can actually, let's say, it's hard for me now, but I can walk around the golf. That's good. I can do that. I, I'll go and do that. I'll play golf. And then I may play a bit better golf. And I think, great, that's really good. I tell you what, I don't feel so bad now. I think I'll do, do you know, and I try and build on that one positive. Rather than focus too much on the negative, it's very difficult to do sometimes. Though you, it's not like but, a, but you are a very positive person because people always want to hear, you know, hear your wisdoms, hear your motivation. You know, you've got, you've had a big, big impact on a lot of people's. I lecture. Lives. I lecture people. <laughs> That's what I do. I yeah, lecture. Good way that we enjoy it. We can write. I, get, uh, I mean, you know, the thing about the, that golf analogy about like you know the the. Um, Everyone can can hit yeah, everybody a perfect can hit a couple perfect of shots shot in a row. Can. I, I can see where I'm standing, and you're telling it to me and George, and George is like his head's swaying and he's yawning, <laughs> and he's like almost mouthing the words behind you. Oh, I like see that, them all that, the time. You know, the, the, that sits behind my own biggest yeah. success, in, you know, as a surfer. So, so it's it, it's huge the impact you've had on other people's lives. But everybody takes stuff you say in different ways. You know, some people, you know, some people have said stuff to me. Uh, in passing that I've taken on and I've, I've taken it on really seriously like uh, you know I, I tell a story your dad told me about him being a being a bricklayer now I don't know how true it was when he told me but he'd go to the first place and he'd learn that he couldn't lay bricks at all <laughs> I couldn't this, lay yeah, bricks at all just having come back from Morocco and he was trying to in some way to go back and he goes to the first yeah he goes to the first uh, I mean may have been easier in those days but he goes to the first job and he's like looking and he watches a couple of bikes, lays a few bricks, a guy says, what the fuck are you doing? And then, then he has to go back then. Then the next time he goes to the next one, he can do a bit more. And the next one, by the time he's done three, he's saying he can lay bloody bricks and he, he's a brickie now, off he goes. And, and, and I'm just saying it's a certain thing that you, you learn just bit by bit, you know. You just... Now then... Yeah. Uh, you're starting to sound like the scope we know and love there because I know it's hard talking about some of the stuff we've just been talking about so now that we've got you there mm. we've got you as that version of scope let's move on to some of the areas in which you are very opinionated let's uh, let's let's yak a bit oh, about God. let's get you up on a few of your horses I was just starting to think this is the most I've ever been able to say in, in the presence of Papa Scope. wow <laughs> Well, because normally you'd be lecturing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, normally it'd be right, you I listen lecture. to me now. Only guys. I listen. talk, just on, sit right. and listen. Lecture us then, right? Well, let's start with this one, right? In the next episode after this, we're having a debate about jocks and purists, right? Let's get your mm. thoughts on this, right? Um, Joel Tudor, apparently, is the sort of, uh, the, the person who gave the quotes. Apparently it was to Surf Europe about how, you know, surfing, surfers are not athletes, um, surfing isn't a jock sport. We'll leave that for football, you know. And he means he means American football. 
um, surfing has got some kind of like countercultural origin that we should well that we should Rob and I have sort of almost set ourselves up as kind of opposites on it although we probably find well let's not admit that we find common no, ground until we've we finished, we finished our debate um, where do you stand on this then the state of modern surfing that is it, is it now a jock sport is it has it lost its roots or was it you're, always that you're implying that is it a sport that is it's a full-on sport which is competition and you go for it or is it more of a lifestyle. Well, I think we got a bit lost in your description there because I think the the debate centres people always do more about whether <laughs> it should we should be kind of promoting that jockification of surfing. And I define the jockification of surfing as being changing surfing into something else, another sport, where and kind of neglecting to acknowledge the the kind of the culture and the history of it. So I think you you kind of termed it quite well there when you said is is surfing all about competition? Is it super serious all the time? Or should we also acknowledge the, the, the reason we all started, certainly here, to have fun? I mean, from my... Funny enough, this, this sort of thing was a discussion that, that we, we used to have in, in work as well, really, is uh, that has the sort of everybody that does stuff in there or the brands do stuff, they focus on the surfers that do well in competitions. And yet, those very surfers that do well in competitions rely on, I'm saying we rely on rest bay car park being full of people buying Quicksilver, Billabong and all of that, that, you know, they don't, they probably wouldn't even know who's world champion. They wouldn't even know who's, the name they'd come up with, the Kelly Slate is going to be world champion for the year dot, as far as they're concerned. The same way as a little bit like golf, Tiger Woods is still yeah. the, the, the main man, but Kelly Slater's, they, most people, most people who buy surfboards, who buy wetsuits, are doing it because the lifestyle is banging. And it is, isn't it? Let's face it, boys. The smell of that salt in the morning when you go down the beach, that fresh salt from the, 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 the mist and everything in it, and the sun is shining. You, you know, you know when you've had your surf, you're going to take your wetsuit down. The sun is going to wrap itself around you. Christ. Who wants to play golf, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I, I mean that's just, you, 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 you couldn't get better. That's just, and everybody wants that, even the guys that compete. Now, from my point of view, that, that to me is, those are the times I remember probably more than I remember competing, you know. I, I remember competing, and it is nice to be good, and it is nice for people to, to sort of, say some of the nice things you said about me but you know all of those it, yeah i i just think it's it, if you can enjoy it and and those things those things as i just described both of you smiled because both of you yeah, have i was kind it. of there i was on the beach and and, and both of you have gone down well I, everybody that's ever surfed has looked for that day i don't know why this is though right but in terms of like being there, I was thinking, okay, you know, I know what happened. I was thinking, you were talking about it being sunny and I was thinking, gosh, mm. it's not sunny that often here in Wales. And some of us, you know, we've got to, if you want to be a Welsh surfer, you've got to live for like yeah, those, yeah, those yeah. big winter days. And I was thinking, you were talking about that and you were romanticising, right? But I can see vividly the sight of you calling other people off because you're deepest, it's a big winter day in the point. On the point. You're, yeah, you're yeah. deepest, there's Brad, there's Simon, there's like 
Gary Lewis is in there. It's like the, it's like the, that tough mm. crowd that it's impossible to yeah, get a yeah. good wave from. And then it's like, got it! And then there's you, Deepest, taking off. And that is a... That's a that's a jock moment, isn't it? Surely, you know, you've you've defeated the other guys in the lineup to that. Not point. now, because Rhino would be go. deep. He'd be another fifty yeah, yards. Yeah, he's straightened it out and going up the rocks. <laughs> he, he, he'd be still, a, he'd be still free. He'd be, he'd be at the bloody lighthouse. But I was seeing that, and I, you know, and 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 that's another moment. You know, that kind of feeling. You know, the. the I I think though that sometimes top, though, I don't know top, this. You've got off on that. I don't, in the I, I don't know this, and it would be really. It, we, it, we'll never find it out. But I don't know whether if I if I hadn't competed and done well, would well, I have would still we have been, all been no? You that wave? No, would I have still been surfing? Right. Would I have still enjoyed it as much? Or would you? Have I know. I know. I know. Brad still enjoys it as much as he probably did before, you know. And there are people, but I'm saying me how how right. how how I how I. I did how I went around my business. I reckon I can ask you a few sort of psychometric type questions then to Go try and then. help diagnose that. Is Go diagnose the right word? Yeah. How many times in your surfing life have you gone cruising on a single fin and say, so, you know, like, Go, right, I'm going in the two, three foot point today and I'm going to take a single fin in and I'm just going to style and I'm not going to worry about my performance level? Uh, no, I, 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 yeah, I don't really know if that's got anything to do with the jockification. I, I would say that. Well, no, but coming on from jockification, if he's okay. he's asking me, you're saying I don't know if if I wasn't someone who'd won contests, would I have carried on into that mm. sport? And I'm saying, okay, well, there's a test, right? Can you enjoy cruising on a single fin? Because that's got like I zero might to have, do with. That. I, I, I might have been able to. Zero if I might have zero been adrenaline either. Shouts George. I might have been able to if. Uh, if I didn't, you know, I don't know whether whether Simon Brad did the same thing. I'm sure they did. I went in the sea to get better. Yeah. So if I rode a single fin, so it's about performance. Uh, it turned into that. It yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely didn't start that way. I didn't start play. I didn't start surfing because I wanted to be a good surfer. I definitely didn't do but that. It became like I didn't know that. I didn't know because I wasn't. I don't think I was particularly good at, at, you know, in school I was okay at the, you know, the rugby and the stuff, but I wasn't like the, the best guy. I, I, you know, I didn't. I, I, I wasn't like Mr. Excel. You know. I've got one for you then, Scove. So, I think you're the kind of one of the perfect people to ask because you've had those great competitive successes. Mm. But you were, all, were also kind of in your heyday was kind of just around the time that surfing was kind of starting to lose that that I really re reluctantly say the word kind of hippie. But yeah. That's only how it was viewed no, from did. the outside, maybe it not did, from yeah. the inside. But that um, and kind of that uh, traveling and yeah. exploring kind of phase. And you actually had a taste of that, didn't you, um, in the Canary Islands? You yeah, spent a lot of time over there. Canary Islands is, was really good yeah and that that point that you're changing where it changed from hippie was thanks to bloody I sean, wish I'd used that word thanks, but that's how it was thanks, perceived thanks, from the outside thanks to sean it? thompson because he turned up that is air cut and everything because andy martin and in, we all wandered down two, talked about him didn't he mm. with you know said the same things you know that yeah gone we we all cruised down to wherever i can remember him being in there's still photos of him around the other day i saw some up and he was down there and he was slick and his hair was cool and he just looked so like, look at this guy. And we're there with 
hair like you saw in the photograph all over the place but yeah. great when it was wet and we all came back and cut it nice and neat and tidy <laughs> and sort of we're Mr Slick and we then rather than not the sweatshirts inside out they all became the right way and you know some people may have loved it going that way I went that way I can't say that that I didn't I was part of those people yeah. that drove it towards being competitive you know and here's me sitting back going oh I don't particularly like it but at that time you know that's what happened to it and it did it definitely there was a like a, a clunk over it but I tell you what mind at that moment in time I think some of us you know in a little part of us thought we could be professional people yeah. we thought because remember professional surfing at that time was Sean Thompson and Rab Bartholomew those they'd not long gone pro mm -hmm. they were like the first pros so we thought we could be sort yeah. of a pro like and Nigel Simmons was going pro we thought we could well, we, we we could make and and you know there were teams well, Carwin, Carwin did didn't he Carwin yeah but there were teams everywhere we, we were we were paid money to go away through the winter by people like girl wetsuits would give you 500 quid expenses to go and fly which then would get you a to, good to, trip to, to get you to Tenerife for the winter to sort so you're thinking right you know I'm getting in now I'm actually training in Tenerife okay. so you kind of bridge that gap then yes yeah, so like, like so those things you know we, we a lot of people were getting allowances to go to to go away as far as I was concerned and we'd spend like two months in in Tenerife which was brilliant Tenerife was when it was first before before I mean if you don't go to Tenerife no hardly any of the hotels were there and stuff and you camp in what we called the desert and there's like five star hotels there now you'd be plonked right in the middle of it and I went there with Arwin Arwin Davis uh, Arwin Davis yeah and he was a great guy to go away he's a little older than us and he sort of he did he did sort of know the ropes so he was really good it was Arwin and we had this flat in um it's still there. I think it's the Sol. It's the two massive towers in Las Cristianos. And we had this flat. And to this very day, I get photos now sent back and forth. Ian Bowen was there as well. Ian Bowen came with us. And to this very day, I don't know who rented the flat. I have no idea. I just know people came in and out of it. There was like, you know, four or five people all of the time. Yeah. One would go, someone would turn up. I don't know who rented it, I don't know whose it was, I couldn't tell you. It was just there were guys going in and out of it all the time. Ian Bowen used to be funny over there. He Ian Bowen, also it. known as Yanto, yeah. for, the, uh, for, for listeners who've had to cede uh, position he, to him in the point on yeah. a big day. He again was a nice guy to go away with. All the guys were nice, you know, I'm not saying any, you wouldn't, if you weren't, if you weren't nice, you wouldn't go away with them, would you? So he was really good. We had a good time over there. there, there was, and we were sort of semi-pioneers we weren't the first by a long way to go over there but you know we were the spanish were a bit hassly but we were you know we stayed there for ages and it wasn't just tenerife it was the, that northern track in foot Ventura. yeah i was i was later to that though the guy who discovered that is giles davis Forterman, isn't he Forterman. That's what he was called yeah, Forterman, Forterman. yeah and and quite rightly too because he doesn't get the credit that he got for actually the northern track because he lived there you know he's one of those guys i think that if you went there jazz would pop up and you'd think wait well, where did you come from jazz he was he lived there he surfed that well he surfed it a lot and he surfed it well how much of modern surfing do you watch you've seen you've seen the stuff that 
I watch Italo Ferrer. Yeah, Dina, I watch. I I gotta admit, I'm a I'm a, I'm a Facebook uh, watcher. Yeah, and it, it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. It's 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 beyond it's beyond thinking that I I could do it really. It's sort of. Do you, do you actually think that then? So you you they, think they that do stuff that if you, you had know, your time if your time had been now you don't think I would you'd love be to flying think, through the I air. I would love to think I could. I I oh, I'd love to think I could do. I'd love to fly through the air. I mean, I don't I don't think I'd like to live in this era, but I would like to. I don't. I'd like to surf in this area. I I think. Take the knowledge I think, and equipment back. I think doing. We spoke about this when we were when we were surfing. There was actually people, me included, would tell you you cannot do an air because you go backwards and the wave goes forwards. So how can you land All an air? You can't. Right. It cannot be done. So the line is drawn. You know, it's like it cannot be done. And now, literally, a surfboard is a skateboard, isn't it? It is literally yeah. a skateboard now. And they're doing stuff which is insane. And I watch it, and, and I think it is. And also, the re-entries they do. I mean, even when I was back surfing, uh, when they were doing, like, re-entries, I was always a re-entry man. You know, the board goes up in the air and the board comes down. Where they were doing it from, like, the tail goes up in the air, didn't it? You know, the tail goes up in the air and the board comes down. They didn't even get the nose over the top of the wave. They got the tail over the top of the wave. And all of those things are just insanely good. I mean, each one runs on, though. I will say that. You learn to do, and this is the big one, there's, there's a starting point of anything. Like, there's always a starting point if you did, if you can do, for instance, if you can do a backhand bottom turn, you can do a forehand cutback. And so, if you can take off and turn like that, you should be able to take off and turn like that. So every manoeuvre will build your repertoire up. So I'm assuming that if you take that as, as a logic, that once you can do so much of an air or so much of that, then everything locks into place that, oh, I can do that, so I can do this. Do you, do you, do you get I what do. I mean? Yeah. Everything is built on it. It looks very complicated when you look at it as a whole, but if you break it down, there'll be lots of bits that are the same bits, you know, like, like everything. Absolutely. Talking of um, high performance and professional surfing, you travel pretty widely as part of the British team. So yeah. Australia, South Africa, USA, and there's a great story that you told me before. I think it was in Australia, and you saw someone do a, like a proper backhand snap yes. for the first time. And it, was it the same event that you were we kind of intimidated? You didn't want to go in the water because you didn't think you were no, I, as I, good as these guys. I, I can... Poof. I can remember that really vividly. You know, again, I can't speak for for because Bad was there and Simon was there and Carl was there. Full Welsh team, but yeah, uh, yeah. part of Team Britain. Yeah. Uh, I can remember going down to Duramba, and Duramba's got two. It's got an outside reef and it's got an inside. And I think it was the outside reef we watched him. And I believe it was a guy in a yellow wetsuit. And he was doing these backhand snaps. And I had never seen anything like it. He was coming. I don't know what we were doing before. I think we were just going up to the top and coming down. Yeah. Literally just... This guy was going, coming off the bottom and whacking the top of the wave. And they were surfing so well. And again, this is back to probably me feeling that I wasn't good enough to be in the British team. 
you know, I was looking at them thinking, I'm not good enough to be, I'm not good enough to be here. You know, these guys are, the guy that is surfing out there that isn't even in the Australian team, yeah. and I'm surfing by him looking like a gook in my lovely <laughs> kit-like, and thinking, who are you? Oh, I'm in the British team. Are you? So again, oh. that, that kind of like, that mentality. Yeah, that I, com I... Competitiveness I, comes back, though, well, and you were, as you we've heard through, time and time again throughout this, this interview, you were so dedicated to improving to the point where you felt you were perhaps intimidated to go in. Oh, no, I was. I was 100%. Way, but with all that dedication, that time spent trying to better yourself or better your surfing and become the best, do you feel that perhaps sometimes you missed out on the kind of the peripheral fun? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. you're so focused on that, that goal. I think I did. I, I, I've said this a few times to probably George, really. I look and I think sometimes... The guys who are, I'm not saying they're not good surfers, but semi-finalists and stuff like that, they enjoy the whole of the competition. I was less focused on the yeah. end goal. Whereas, you know, I know now, funny enough, because I, I, I've read about it, if you go now to, and you stay in a hotel where the golf, the pro golf tours mm -hmm. are, every one of those is in bed by nine, and they eat their meal in their room, and they have the breakfast in the room, there's just rows of trays, and apparently it's the European guys that'll go, oh, are you off out for a meal? And they all go out for a meal and they have a meal, which you would think you'd want to do. The Americans but Americans anywhere, really. are like, I'm stuck, this is my job, I'm, I'm in yeah. here, I, I'm, I'm out to win. It wouldn't matter if they were playing in Dubai or Correct. in Correct. Ohio. They're they just in a the hotel, they're going to a golf course, they don't go out. And I'm not saying that I would have, and I'm not saying I did, but I'm just making a point that sometimes when you try your best to win, you are you can miss out on a lot of other things. That when you look back in later life, you think, oh, I, I would have preferred to have a great time doing that you, than actually I'm sure there's plenty of people winning. that didn't focus yeah, on that would have perhaps to, preferred maybe, to have done that and, and achieved Maybe, yeah. I can honestly that. say every time I went in the sea, I, I did my best. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't drunk the night before yeah. or I wasn't bad. Like, you know, there are people that will get so hammered they get up and they can hardly surf in their heat. Now, I can honestly say I never did that. If anybody, if anybody, when people beat me, and a lot of people did, they, they would beat me fairly. Like, mm -hmm. I, I was on top song, you know. It wasn't because I was drunk. When and how are we getting you back in the sea again then? Christ, this body got lucky to get up the stairs, let alone get out the back. Doesn't look that way to me. No, and I've seen I've seen not. George's Instagram. You're out there on the golf course now, travelling very fast. Actually, I got a yeah. yeah. Have you seen that? Thanks to a segue. Yeah. I got a segue that takes me around the golf course. Yeah, I struggle you, a little. You did say to me before, equivalent. though. Yeah, you did say to me before that you thought that getting in the water and cruising would, uh, would I be would as accessible. Do you know, as I think I'm. Um, I'm think think deep down. I'm sort of. I'd be really nervous about it. Yeah. I I what I did was. When when they did this, one of my it was the for the tonsil cancer, they they mess about with you with with your arm and your muscles in the arm. When when I first I couldn't paddle properly, so this arm would push push right. the water literally. They wouldn't come up enough, and yeah. I push the water, and I went in the water in uh, Tenerife, and it was just like, nah, this is just sort of like. 
What about an SUP? I've got one in my house. I can inflate it and bring it round tomorrow. Christ, what? Go in the water tomorrow? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's... Um, I would like to. I, dr- I sort of... I, I, I sort of... I, I, I dream I'd like to. Alright. But on the same thing, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Are we going to make this happen, George? We're going to get him in the water. I think it's a full like blocking manoeuvre. We just uh, absolutely easy. Yeah, everybody in. Like I'd, you said, when the sun's on, I'd probably alright okay. if it was small and I'd be on a on a uh, a bloody what are they called softboard. Yeah, I'd maybe alright on one of them, but no. But then if I went on a softboard, no, you know, I might grind and I don't want to do that. I am. Oh God, it's just. I'm. Everything is hard work. I te- like I say, I live in pain, man. Pa- apart pain's from, apart from pain's telling... my friend. I'm learning to pain to be my friend. Right, but <laughs> you're you're, you're 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 just as chirpy and as full of beans and you know the way I you. I try to be. I'm not always mine. Stories. When they um, when they found cancer in my um, my lip and they cut my lip off, that that was massive issue. Yeah. That was a huge issue. That was that 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 was the biggest one of, of them all to get over. Because right. I felt that it, um, well, it has it. It's deformed you, and and I think some of the issue with that was was when I've had other operations, there's been a sort of build up to it. There's been a build up to it, where this one was literally, I went in in the morning, and I came out looking well, not like this because it's stretched like. Jesus, sucking through a straw in the afternoon, so there was no sort of, it was like Jesus, and I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was, so um, when I woke up from that, it was... uh, Again, another big hurdle, substantial hurdle. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these hurdles come, though, and because I'm on drugs for my kidney, and I, I... Remember back in back in the eighties, we didn't have sun cream, or we had it, but we didn't use it very good. The idea of going brown was you go red and then you go brown. <laughs> There's no like shading of brown. It's either red yeah. and then you go brown and you peel a bit, which is good because that skin underneath doesn't. So it, you know, all of us, you, you, and all of that sun that I had, and all of the sun on my on my on my face and everywhere has come home that this may have happened to me when I was if I lived to 90 it may be the same thing do you see what I mean but at 90 they probably wouldn't do anything about it it's just because I take the drugs it it, it's it's just quicker with me but yeah the the, this was the hardest one let's this was a dark place yeah well you know and again you found the positive though as you mentioned earlier you find the little positives and that, that there was one that when I say I had to dig in, this one was the one that I had to dig in. Well, let, dig let's in let's look at one of the biggest positives in your life right now by turning our necks towards the hot tub over there in the corner of the garden and George. Lucy's nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> and George, you know, the, the way George speaks about you, um, you're his hero. You're our hero. And now, partly because it's actually quite a cold evening now. The birds have stopped chirping. Mm. And uh, I'm quite... I want to see George shiver a bit. And I'm also looking forward to jumping in that hot tub myself shortly. I reckon we're going to try and see if we can get George out now. Are we going to get the floor all wet? Is producer Dodd going to get get freaked out about the mics? 
about the, the, the water in the wires. Let's get George in front of the mic now. Come and tell George your dad how much of a legend he is. Yeah. Are we going to confirm that, that he Mark's knows, good? He knows. Oh, look, producer Dodd has moved the chair out of the way I now. Know, look, he's, he's, he's scared, isn't he, Scope? He's scared of getting cold, no. don't you think? He's never said that and done it to me on everyone. Don't do it, Tom. Don't eat the eye. I know what he thinks. Yeah. Well, you heard it there from your son, George. Yeah. Um, and from Rob and I. You know, you're, you're a lot a lot of people that, you know, you you respect and admire, they have you as their hero. And uh, that is, that's not been earned lightly. You know, it's not, well, you're not just the people's hero because you're a bit cool and, you know, you served good. It's It's the whole package of who and what you are. I don't think I deserve that hero bit, but it's very nice of you, thank you. It really is, but I don't think I deserve it. I oh, just it do. Th those lectures we've we, received. We do. I wonder how many hours between us we've no, sat. No, I, I, I do lecture. I Not do enough. Lecture. Not enough. I can see movement in the hot tub. I said, trying to not pee myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I, I, I am. A, I, I am a bit of a lecturer. Right. In the best way, and we, we, we love it. And yeah, I actually, concept. I, I, it's funny, really. I actually like people's points of view. That's what I say. And unfortunately, well, you always play I, a bit of devil's advocate. I, I, you, you broach I a, am a, a topic, and then we spoke about this. They've changed the, um, the zodiac signs, haven't they? Because I am a Libran, so that means I am sort of meant to be the scales. Yeah. And I do, and it. it I know it upsets George terribly. I I will always fall on, or most of the time, you know. Although. I know this is the right side. I'll always argue for that. For the, well, like you, I will always say you that just you just yourself up completely then, because I put forward the argument that you're a legend, and you just said that you knowingly have taken the side that you yeah. uh, that, that that is not right. So, yeah, so there it is. Right. It, there it, you, that's it. And you're done. You're a legend, and, yeah, it, and you failed it. to dispute it. There we are. So, yeah, but that's why the star signs have changed. <laughs> <laughs> right, very to say I'm not so, a legend. It's uh, it's as always. Um, we've had an absolute ball talking to you. And how have you in, enjoyed your first visit to the, the garden studio? It's funny, isn't it? In your own house. In your own house. <laughs> but isn't it, it's funny when you, you start talking about certain stories, it kind of, it drags memories that you haven't, well, you haven't ever thought about since the day they happened. It really has. And, and I want to thank you two guys, because if anything, that's one thing it's done. And it's been really nice. You've, um, you've made me think about stuff that I haven't thought about for a long time. Things that I did when um, when I was with Brad, um, like with Andrew, the first time with Andrew and stuff, just things, and then going even further back and remembering the trips in the, and those things have been really nice for me to sort of bring forward because I have a tendency I've got to stay in this moment because uh, you know I know it sounds really bad and it sounds I, I'm I, I'm I'm I don't moan all the time but you know it, it's a struggle you know cool. and and I get. I do get upset a little bit that I can't do stuff. I get frustrated. Like, I would love to be able to go in the sea. I'd love to be a fit and healthy 56-year-old, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying why me, but I do think as well that um, some of the issues that I do get have, I'm going to say, made me a better person than I probably would have been. We'll never know that. Yeah. But I look a bit again. I'm I'm taking a positive. I I, I hope that I, it sort of made me more, uh, you know, just a nicer person because of it. you know I may have been like, yeah, I won the Welsh. I did this. I I'm I'm this. I'm the greatest. Where now I I I 
I don't look at them as, as being that. You know, I look at them as I, I, I was, I caught the right wave at the right time. I had the right the, board. I had the right board. I had the right judge. I had the guy liking me. I don't know, God, in those days, the judge may have marked you wrong. <laughs> so I had all of those fit, fell my way, which was, which was nice and, and it's been good. But I thank you guys for, for you know, letting me chat about it's it. It's been really. our absolute pleasure. And you, uh, dear listeners, we hope you um, have enjoyed listening to this one as much as we've enjoyed recording it. All that remains to say is a huge and heartfelt thank you to Mark and the family Schofield for your hospitality. Hey, and George, you should have got out of that hot tub. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course you, the listener. Until next time, stay safe, stay stoked, and we'll see you in the water. Goodbye. Bye, Bye-bye. Bye-bye.